Friends, the show you're about to hear may contain coarse language, progressive attitudes about scale modeling, and in-depth discussion of technique and concept. If this is not your thing, then on your bike. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show while at the bench, on the drive to work, or while enjoying an adult beverage. Chris is like, fuck you. <laughs> Try and make this so I got at least some fucking chance of editing it. <laughs> <laughs> There's our cold open right there. All right, let's get the fuck started here. Welcome aboard, uh, gangsters. It, uh, yeah, it's time for another uh, episode of the Sprue Cutters Union. I am joined here with my compadres, my brothers, my partners in crime, Mr. Tracy Hancock. Ahoy, hoy. Oh, God, I hate it when he does that. And Mr. <laughs> and Mr. Chris Mettings. Hello. <laughs> i think i think he's i think he's still uh he's still got some carryover from the fanch lubin episode still trying to perfect that sexy french accent but you don't need to man you're that's an upper class english accent and i've got a funny story about that if you want uh, well may... yeah let's hear Do your you funny know story the about famous your... the famous english actor terry thomas never heard of no. him all right if you look him up he was famous for playing slightly caddish uh, posh men wah, 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 with a big moustache and during World War 2 he served as an officer and he uh, officers in World War 2 the British army had changed so they were starting to uh, recruit people that didn't go to public schools and didn't go to the right university wink wink um, and the selection although it was supposed to be opened up to everyone probably grammar boy grammar school boys and above although it was supposed to be open to everyone uh, if you had the right accent, you were going to do all right. And he had a rather posh accent, so he got a, a rather nice commission in the armed forces. <laughs> but it turned out it's because he'd been an actor and he practiced the voice. And he was actually a bloke from the East End. And it's really funny because uh, <laughs> he wasn't remotely highborn, but because he did it very well, he got a commission. What, what, what? So there you go. Wow. Well, there you go. That's, Some... that's today's boring World War Two fact. No, that's 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 a good story. Hey, look, I don't think you need to work on your accent, though. I think you already classed this place up with the accent you've got. It's funny because to me, I sound really like, as we say over here, common. I'm I'm common as Audi, me. I'm common as Tesco. No, man. When I listen back to when I listen back to our episodes, I I always feel like, damn, Chris is the only one of us that sounds intelligent, cultured. <laughs> so. <Hey>. so. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself, Shed Boy. <laughs> oh, there we go. So we're gonna start right away with the shed jokes again. Okay. Yeah, right. shed right. tool. It's a mini barn. It's a Yeah, it's you a need mini... to shed that thin skin. It's, it's a, a mini, mini barn. barn. It needs a mini, a mini bar. You need a mini I'm, bar I'm, in there. I'm st- look, look, it cannot look, a shed does not have a roll up garage door. I'm just saying. That's that's just a fact. A I mean, shed does. No. No, no, no. I no. Look, I'm the one from a farm. Okay, everybody drink. <laughs> <laughs> Did you scratch peel just shed? <laughs> <laughs> 
Tracy's over will, there working. I will not be baited. Nope. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, enough of this nonsense. Uh, let's get into <laughs> we, what Tracy, we're gonna, we've derailed it already. <laughs> let, let's let's get into whatever we're going to get into. What's what's happening? Uh, what are you guys up to, Mister Hancock? Since since you will not be baited into art school jokes, why don't you uh, tell us something? Tell us something that you've actually got going on. Uh, well, I, I I received a conundrum. And by that, I mean everything that I was waiting to come in the mail for all of my projects arrived at once. Oh, so I had okay. on my on my bench, I had uh, what I needed to get back on track for three projects. And I had to decide which one, uh, which one I was going to devote my time to. Because, you know, when you get all the stuff that you're you need to, to take the next step in your project, you just you kind of want to do them all. Um, but. Voice of Reason told me that um, A, I had promised Chris that I would finish this Japanese tank for him. B, it's the closest to being finished. Uh, and C, it might be the only thing I finish between now and the new year. So I have started working on the Master Club tracks for that. I've got a length and a half done. So uh, they're quite nice. As we discussed before, when we were discussing tracks and white metal tracks and whatnot, um, the casting on these is quite sharp. It's, it's really, they're really well cast. The little resin pins that you put them together with, you sort of can't drink any coffee before you start assembling these. (laughs) You know how, uh, you just you sort of have to get your mind right when you're doing certain types of modeling. And one of the things that you have to get your mind right when you're assembling these tracks is just how much force you use picking something up with a pair of tweezers. <laughs> because initially, I think we all, until we kind of refine our grasp a little bit, um, if you haven't been doing anything in a while, you might sit down at the bench and grab a pair of tweezers and grab something pretty hard. Uh, with a little more force than you actually have to to hold on to it. Stop snickering, Mettings. <laughs> if you need tweezers, I feel, I feel for you. I so do. <laughs> Look, yes, I need tweezers, and I need to grab it very hard. It's a hold your hard thing. <laughs> Every week, that tone, I get it lower and lower. <laughs> yeah, we're never going to be able to limbo under that. <laughs> uh, yes, anyway. So the, the little resin pens are minuscule they're they're so small and by about uh i don't know link number 20 i was really starting to wonder if they'd given me enough of these little resin pens to assemble (laughs) these tracks because there was about a dozen of them somewhere in this room ammo was running low yeah (laughs) Mm, yeah no um but once you sort of get your, your grip right where you're, you're holding it without actually squeezing it, um, again, this, this could go so badly with these phrases. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm trying to grow up now. You're okay. Um, then they go together pretty well. Yeah. Uh, not really a problem. They're, they're easier than Friel. Is that right? <laughs> Is that how we decided we were pronouncing that? Friel. Friel. They're easier than Freel in that they you really don't have to do any cleanup of the the openings. Yeah, um, you just That's sort of there's, 
Yeah. There's some with uh, a bit of flash, and you can set those aside because they give you plenty. Um, so at any rate, yeah, I've, I've gotten most of that assembled, uh, and I've started on the base. And as we were talking about uh, before we started recording, the the conversation we have with Peter Usher is really, really causing me to sort of examine all the elements of the base and make sure that their positioning and whether they need to be there or not. Uh, just sort of taking a really close look at how these elements help to tell the story. And if they don't, then they don't need to be there. So a hat tip to Peter for getting me to really slow down and examine what I'm doing. Um, but also it's a little, you know, it's, it does slow the process down a little bit. But I think the end result is going to be of a higher quality. Well, you know me, uh, quality is more important than speed. Yeah. So I can wait. Yeah, absolutely. If if time is is your main concern, and you're, this is not the right hobby for you. Gets to a point though where you just get fed up with a project and just want it to fuck off. Yeah, I imagine you've gone through that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More on that later. Yeah. No, it's it, it's it's not slow everything down to a glacial pace, you know, it just, it is a little bit slower than just your slapdash sort of base, but, uh, you know, I, I want my work to improve. I don't, I, I'm really critical of other people's base work, groundwork. Yeah. Um, when I see stuff that I really like and it's really well done, I do take a hard look at it and, and try to sort of memory bank that and, and think, okay, well, this is something I need to look at the next time I'm doing this type of base. Um, groundwork, uh, for, you know, there's a fair amount of modelers out there that groundwork is just secondary at best. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's commonly an afterthought, maybe, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's there to, to, to give a context of the environment, but it's not, you know, it's not given the right weight as part of the composition of the, the whole piece. I mean, I've done it myself. If you don't put as much effort into the groundwork as you put into the model, it just looks wrong. And that's my problem. You know, I'm not criticizing other people there. But it definitely shows. And and, and I think, you know, I mean, groundwork is intimidating for me. I know I, I always feel like it's it's like I, I, I don't do nearly as much diorama stuff as I'd like to because I just don't feel like I'm good at groundwork. And every time I get into it, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. I love it, man. It's cool. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And I think, you know, it's the way we look at weathering on construction vehicles and, and heavy-duty lorries that pass you on the highway. And, you know, we pay attention to those effects, but we don't necessarily pay attention to, you know, actual natural groundwork that we can think like, okay, this is, you know, Look at the way this path is cutting through this this little uh, you know section of woods, and how high are the trees here? And there's you know, in addition to trees, there's the the shorter, smaller trees that grow to be about what 15 feet high that are generally kind of populate a, a low woods, and then you've got you know shrubbery, and then you've got grass. Like there there are multiple levels um, that you can look at and sort of okay, you can really populate your groundwork with something that looks natural and realistic um and this is actually this is a pretty good topic uh because i i've thought about something recently I, I saw some historical photos 
um, Sherman tank rolling through a German town at the end of the war. And, and I kind of thought about how often you see that same scenario, you know, a knocked out German tank and some damaged buildings and, and a, you know, a tank rolling through the street. And what we see in, in modeling is, is what I guess I would call a, a necessary compromise. So in, in the actual historical photo, this, all of this stuff occupies a good deal of real estate because the tank isn't up against the house. The road isn't up against the tank that's been knocked out, the, the tank traveling down the road. Like everything is really compressed whenever we get into throwing things on a base to recreate a scene like this, where in, in reality, there was a fair amount of space between the front of the house and, you know, maybe what we would call a small yard, a knocked out vehicle, the road, another vehicle traveling down it, then your street lights and our fences or whatever, things like that. It's interesting that I think it would be a difficult challenge to recreate that uh, on a base, but I think it could be done. But it's it's interesting the compromises we have to make in order to recreate scenes like that in scale modeling. Everything is, is sort of compressed all together. You know, I've definitely seen dioramas of, you know, a tank rolling down a street that the street is, you know, there's a wall on one side and a building on the other. And the tank probably wouldn't have gone down that street because there's there's only, you know, in, in scale, uh, there's probably only two feet on either side of the tank between the wall and the building. It's, it's so narrow that I don't think many tanks would probably go down that road if, if they didn't have to because there's no maneuverability. Well, you get ambushed from either side as well. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. That being said, you do read about it in, in you know, uh, tank commanders being told by their squad commander or their troop commander to go down there and it was really tight, etc., etc. It does happen. But yeah, yeah. The, the, the space compression thing is really common in modeling. I mean, it's the same with combat. Combat took place over in, in World War Two and probably World War One, two, three thousand yards probably. But on a base, it takes place at like six inches. <laughs> Unless you have a base that's, you know, as long as a football field, it's not really going to be, re you know, realistic from that point of view. But that's one of those compromises we make. Also, just the simple reality that, that as, you know, I mean, from the model maker's perspective of a diorama, you get, you know, a 360 degree field of view that you don't ever get in, you know, in real life even or, or from photographs for sure. So, yeah, it's 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 a challenge for sure. It's for sure. All right. So, um, any more other than you know, on your on your bench, Tracy? Just other than uh, putting putting pins in little tracks and figuring out diorama composition. I mean, that's enough for sure. No, no. Everything on my bench right now is either there's a, there's one shelf queen. There's one sort of distraction that I've started that you know I'll, I'll finish when I finish it. But no, the only airplane I've got on the bench I've actually put aside for a little while. Well, hopefully we'll get to see that at some point. All right, all right. So, Mr. Meddings, what about you? What are you into? Seems like uh, you've got a little more free time now, right? <laughs> I thought I did, and then I thought about it. I thought, oh, fuck, I've got loads of work I need to do. <laughs> I finished the secret project, and I did say that when I finished a secret project, I'd say what it was. And I can't because it's still a secret. <laughs> oh, come on. 
the person <laughs> who commissioned it is is working on something, and until all that's resolved, I'm not allowed to talk about it. So uh, <laughs> it fucking hurts. It really does. Because you know what we're like? As soon as you finish it, you're like, hello, world, look at this. Look at my model. And I'm not allowed yeah. to. Right. So right. because I finished that, I, I've got two other... I've got a bunch of things going on. I've started uh, finishing off the book that we were working on, Will, with um, Tom Anis and uh, your own dream, which is the cockpit book. Um, Yes, yes. So I'm trying to get that ready before Christmas. Wow, that would be fantastic. Still quite a lot of layout work to do because... Because I put it down for a while, and when I went back to it, I thought, "Oh, that's shit," and just started like, sort of relaying it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure that was I'm sure that was my chapter that caused you to decide it was shit. <laughs> so yeah, that that I'm looking forward to. I think that'll be uh, that'll be really good. I, I I think a lot of people are I think a lot of people are gonna are looking forward to that because I know that there was a lot of interest when you announced it, and that's been well, I hope so because I need to close, make money close to a. Close to a year now. Yes, everybody yeah. buy the book. It's gonna be it's gonna be dope. In case anybody in case anybody does not recall that, this is a book that's dedicated exclusively to how to pimp your cockpits, right? Perfect pits. I was gonna call yep. it pimp your pits, but I thought that sounded a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect pits. Yeah, it's it's a cockpit project from you, from me, from Tom and his uh, from from year and veen, each each with a different way of of doing the of doing cockpit. One seventy seconds, one forty eight, one thirty second, and right. there's a uh, uh, how to do your cockpit with three D, how to do it with scratch building, how to do it with aftermarket, and how to do it get the most of it from painting. So four different approaches to the same thing, and obviously you can combine them, but it's you know rather than have four guys do exactly the same thing, it's it's four very different ways of. Uh, of approaching right. doing something about it, yeah. uh, and it's really based around the idea that every model has, a, as we know, you know, has a focal point, and in aircraft, it's usually the cockpit, depending on the aircraft. Yeah, absolutely. And not a not a giant book, right? Like a no, it's a little a... no. It's, it's going to be an A five book. Um, I'm not sure how many pages yet, but probably somewhere around the hundred mark. And uh, yeah, and sold cheap, so you can pick it up, keep it on the bench. It's not a big one; you don't have to knock stuff over, open it up. But still with nice big pictures cool. in it because um, that's the one thing I hate is little pictures. Because what's Very the point cool. in showing Very a picture cool. if you can't see what's in it? You know. Yeah, that's one of my one of my frustrations with a lot of publications is 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 there's photographs of stuff that to me is really important that show how somebody did something or or really show the detail. And the photo is, you know, like two inches square, and I'm yeah. searching for a magnifying glass, and uh, you know, it's oh, like or try to pinch on. zoom it. <laughs> right, <laughs> done that before. <laughs> yeah, like I've gotten where I only read my copies of of Ming Air Modeler at my workbench because that's where I've got my most powerful reading glasses. <laughs> time out! Time out! Time out! There's something we need to talk about. Somebody is on the cover of Meng Air Modeler. Oh, yeah. here we go. I knew that. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to bring it up. Where are you? No, we I certainly were. What you were doing, you're like, oh, I'm doing this on Tomcat. And then we would have had to still interrupt you and, and say that, yeah, buddy, you're on the cover. Yeah. Um. I Well, 
Chris, are, are we are we good? Are we are we have we covered your shit? You're up to because uh, I mean I know you've been completely wrapped up in, in the in the thing that you're not building. So, wow. Uh, okay, I, I'm also building a Churchill for a book about um, modeling AFE club armor kits, uh, which is kind cool, of. Um, cool. It's because AFE Club have been very good to me over the years, and I think they make some fantastic kits. And I think that it'd be nice to have a book out focusing on some of their kits with some great modellers. Uh, and I used to be Mr. Churchill. Everyone used to know me for making Churchill mm-hmm. tanks, and I haven't made one for years. Uh, but it's like getting into an old, comfortable leather armchair, you know, with the, the wall cracks and the worn bits, and you know, all the comfy. Uh, and it's brilliant. I'm you loving butt it. Print? <laughs> yeah, butt print. Yeah, it's got my butt. Print. And <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be br- and because of doing this podcast, I've really been thinking about how to show it. And I've come up with I'm not going to talk about the idea now, but I've come up with a diorama idea which I think is very different. Shows the tank off from a very unusual angle with a lot of drama and a lot of you know a story going on in the in the diorama, but in a very contained space. So I'm looking forward to to doing that and finishing that. Sounds so is this cool. a book you're putting out? Yeah. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Busy man. Busy man. Yeah. <laughs> I have this problem. I can't turn down or I can't stop generating work. I'm not. I don't know why. I think it's because I come from a working class background where, you know, if there's work out there, take it because you never know where the next work's coming from. And uh, unfortunately, it means I'm always totally over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always way overcommitted. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's the right attitude. I mean, you're you know you're an entrepreneur. You're running your own business. I mean, you're paying bills, unlike most of us with model making. So, uh, look, I think that's that's absolutely the right attitude because you're right. You never know where that next piece of work is coming from. Yeah, and if you turn it down, yeah, then you might not your get bills offered are going to keep coming. You know. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. uh, yeah. And that's the thing with being exactly. self-employed. You know, I'm sure you guys know this. It's up and down, so you need to make sure that when there's plenty of opportunity, you're taking it for when the opportunity dries up a bit, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, if anyone out there wants to make this hobby their job, be prepared. You have to work very, very hard <laughs> to get any money out of it. Very, very hard. Wait. So wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. Are you? Are, what's your progress on the, the Shard D2? Oh, yeah. Still working on that as well. Talking of... Like, yeah i've kind of that's a book for someone else and i've pissed them about because that was supposed to be done in may and i haven't finished it so that that is on the bench at the same time as the churchill uh the tracks came they don't fit which is my fault so um well all it is about a millimeter too wide so i'm just gonna like slightly change the road wheels to make them slightly wider uh, and it should still line up with the sprocket. Wait, wait, you're gonna have to do the. Wait, isn't that the tank you already did the the wheels on twice already? Yeah, but you know, so you're gonna you're gonna make all those fucking wheels. How many of them? Is there like fifty? No, of no, them no, or no, something? no, 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 no. You're I'm, gonna make them all again twice. I'm just gonna pop off one row, shim them slightly, and pop them back. Okay, on. Uh, okay, I got you. All right, all right. And that'll probably right, be I'll... shit, and I'll probably end up scrapping the whole <laughs> suspension and starting again. That's what usually happens. Start again, or I'll fuck yeah. it up in some way. Yeah, but anyway, because um, the tracks fit the sprocket and the idler, and that's the tricky bit. The road wheels are, are not yeah. the hard bit. It, you know, it's when they don't fit this. If they didn't fit the sprocket, that would be fuck it. There's no way, unless you want to scratch build. 
I think it's something like 30 teeth on the sprocket. Fuck that. Not after doing it twice already. Um, so, yeah, I'll get them on. And then once they're on, there's probably about two weeks' work left in it. But then I've got nice. to write the book as well, which is like two months' work. So, swings about. You're, I mean, you're writing your chapter, right? Or is it the entire book? Yours? It's the whole book. Wow. Ooh, boy. Yeah. yeah that's, I mean, it won't. That's... It's not how to build a Shardy 2, it's how to scratch build and using the Shardy 2 as a way of exploring different techniques. Also, I'll be putting in bits from other things I've scratch built to illustrate different techniques in different subjects and things like that. So, yeah, the book's not about that. That's just a, you know, I always think with a book, it's nice to have a subject to hang it on to sort of illustrate all the different yeah, aspects. Yeah. And then there's a narrative, you know, there's a story following following it. But really, it's going to be about That's going to be yeah, cool, from, man. Yeah. It, yeah, it'll be from beginning to end on that particular yeah. vehicle, but you can use other work that you've done to illustrate some of the things yeah. a little more. Uh, well, the main thing is to get over it. You could build anything you want. You don't have to be restricted by kits or subject or anything. If you want to build it, as long as you can get the information, you can build it. Uh, and usually, there are three or four different ways you can do each thing. And some are good for some things, and some are good for other things. And that's it, really. It's not... If you try and make a book that's specifically about how to cut a circle, although that'll probably be in there, um, it gets bogged down in techniques rather than... It's more about an attitude, scratch building, than it is techniques. Will's probably thinking that about 3D. You know, it's probably no different in that way. No, I was thinking that it's time for everybody to drink because you just talked about scratch building. <laughs> <laughs> But I was also sitting here thinking that I just I'm always so impressed by anybody who 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 writes a book uh, because like I enjoy I actually enjoy writing. I mean it's 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 fun for me, but I also know how much I struggle to maintain even the minimal amount of discipline that's required to complete a 2000 word article. And, and it's like okay, I got to go in here and I got to write today. I got to put down 500 words or whatever it is. And when I think about what it takes to put out an entire volume, it's just, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm always just kind of like overwhelmed by by what that must take. So mad respect to you, Mr. Meddings, for not just doing just one, but for doing it as a livelihood. Have you ever been, when you're a kid or whatever, stuck miles from somewhere and the only way to get there was to walk? <laughs> dude, dude, I live on a farm. <laughs> that was that was my childhood formative experience. <laughs> you start off thinking, oh, it's so far and it's going to take so long. And the only way to deal with it is to put one foot in front of the other and one foot in front of the yeah. other. And that's writing a book. You don't think about how much you need to do to finish the book. You think about the next bit and the next bit. And before you know it, you finish. If you look up and see how far away the uh, the end line is, you'll never do it. You need to just look down. And get on with it. It's the old, it's the old saying, you know. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So I, I, I completely understand that part of it for sure. Yeah, I've never tried to eat an elephant. I'll be honest. I'm, I am a dedicated <laughs> carnivore, but that's yeah. That's pretty... Anyway, so you adroitly uh, steered us away, <coughs> Meng AFE <laughs> modeler, uh, air modeler. Sorry, and uh, it's the Warhawk. Was it? Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, okay, so yeah, one of the things that I've been up to for the last few days is just being fully 
stoked. I, um, you know, there was a comment dropped somewhere that uh, my Warhawk was coming to the cover of uh, a copy of of uh, Air Modeler near you. But I didn't, you know, I think we talked about it on the last episode. I didn't really, wow. you know, I wasn't I, really getting off. I cut fo- that bit out. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. You did. We decided about uh, it would be um, Tempted Fate or something or, you know, yeah. Or right. I didn't, embarrassment I didn't, if they yeah. changed their mind. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't want, I didn't want to put them on the spot and make feel like they had to do it. But they get, they had already well, done it, apparently. Well, and I started. The comment was made by Mark Neville, who is. Yeah you know, the editor there. So uh. exactly. So, <laughs> but I just, I don't know. That's just kind of my, that's kind of how I am. I don't, you know, I don't want to count my chickens before they're hatched. I don't want to get all excited before something really is right in front of me. And so I, you know, yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. Um, but over the weekend, um, I started getting messages from people sending me screenshots of, of the cover from, you know, cause you can go on the AFV modeler website and uh, buy copies of the magazine digitally, buy copies of articles. And so people started sending me, and I was like, and it was there on the cover. <laughs> and that's just fun. I'm not going to lie. That's just fun. You know, it's it was a because I, I honestly had put it out of my mind. I wasn't even thinking about it. And then somebody sent me a message, and I was like, oh, wow. So, yeah, it's pretty cool um, because I legitimately did not – you know, after looking at the first, you know, issue of the magazine, uh, when we were getting ready to interview Dave, I-, I was like, man, I don't even know if my stuff is good enough to be in there. That that was a legitimate, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, that's not false modesty. I, I really was not taking, you know, anything for granted much, but, but I certainly was not thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, be on the cover. I mean, come on. Um, the, the, the long list of of giants uh, on whose shoulders I'm now standing is is I mean it is lots of amazing modelers, so I'm just uh, yeah I'm I'm over the moon um, I uh, I'm, I'm super stoked and and I'm just grateful that Dave and Mark felt like the the thing was good enough to be in the magazine in the first place but definitely to be on the cover I mean it's it is it's it's one of the coolest things that's happened to me uh, all year. Uh, in a really up and down year, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm grateful for that. It's it's good fun. Yeah, you've got a problem now, though. You've got to do What's it that? again. <laughs> <laughs> got to really prove it's not a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's that for sure. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm gonna. You know, I, I don't know. I'm I'm hard pressed to like decide up front that I'm gonna do a project specifically for for publication. But uh, next year I'll see what I can do. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, so yeah, enough of that. Um, I am continuing with the Super Hornet, and it's continued to be super fun, mostly. Uh, but I continue to also create senseless drama for myself because you know I said I was going to build the damn thing basically right out of the box, and I had all that drama with the uh, intakes, which that was all on me. I mean, the intakes are are great, but. I was also going to just do the cockpit straight out of the box. And then I started looking at it and I was like, number one, there's no seat belts. So I got to solve that problem. And then number two, I was started to look at the molded detail and it's good. It's crisp, but it's also really simplistic. And I was just like, I don't feel like taking the time to paint all of this detail. I know 
I'll get the Edward Photo Edge set for this thing. <laughs> and I, I really wish somebody had been available to talk me out of that because it, <laughs> we should have asked. It, it 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 was not it was not fun. This is the the pre-colored Edward Photo Edge set. I originally wanted to do the Quinta. You know the the new fangled 3D printed decal things, which are not 3D printed in the in the sense of 3D printing, by the way. But I but they don't make one for that kit yet. And uh, I was gonna try to get one, see if the the Hasegawa one would fit, but I just couldn't get it in time. So I just went with the one that I had access to, and holy shit, it, it was just an ass whipping. That you know that pre printed photo etch is nickel plated first. And uh, I learned the hard way that the, you know, my new favorite black super glue does not stick well to nickel plated brass because uh, I kept popping the little things off and and it just it was horrible and and I you know that's my fault because I just neglected to do the basic thing of sanding the back of those parts before you try to glue them on. You know, that's the first thing you should do when you take that fret out of the package is flip it over, get you some 400 grit sandpaper and scuff the back of it until you can see the yellow brass showing through. So that helped, but not before I had a near disaster that, you know, involved several rounds of it (laughs) popping off and getting re-glued and getting fucked up with, with, uh, um, debonder, you know, debonder. You you can get away with a little bit of debonder on a Q-tip on that pre-painted stuff, but if you use an, if you put some on a paintbrush, and it gets in it all, you know, at all liquid, it will wrinkle the surface of that pre-painted stuff. And I had to I had to repaint some of the pre-paint, which was not fun. So anyway, not good, but it's all buried in there, and especially now that I'm going to include the pilot. Because I also made another mistake. I just barreled through the thing deciding that I was going to do flaps up. Simple. Because uh, I could go ahead and put them on there with that, and they, you know, with them up, they don't obscure any parts of the fuselage that I'm going to need to be painting. And it was just the simple and straightforward thing to do. But I was not focusing on the part of my reference photos that clearly show that in virtually every situation when a Hornet is on the ground, the flaps are down. It's just the way it is. And and, and, and I actually, once I kind of realized that, I asked in a thread in SMCG, and, and, and I got a chorus of, oh, yeah, dude. Uh, and even guys that fly them were like, oh, yeah, bro, when we get out of the, when we get out of the cockpit, you know, the flaps are, are, are set to, to, to full, fully uh, extended. That's the way we leave the airplane. So I just didn't have much of an excuse for flaps up without a driver in there. So I have been, uh, yeah, I have been painting, struggling to paint. Cause I, that was, that was one of those decisions that I was, I was not going to put a pilot in there, but that's one of those decisions. It's, that was like the simplest way to cover my flap faux pas was to put the guy in there. And the, the, uh, yeah, the little pilot guy, not, super well molded he <laughs> I think I'm going to call him uh, Jaunty McRudder Ca- C- Lieutenant Commander Jaunty McRudder whose call sign is Blob because <laughs> he's just he you is know, just Iceman not, in Top Gun uh, is he is he melted Iceman he's melted <laughs> Iceman <laughs> yes 
is not not great and my my painting effort is uh also not great but yeah with the uh with the canopy closed and uh probably a little blurry after i polish it i think it'll all be okay so anyway there's that I, I think I relayed a little bit of 3D printer drama on the last episode because my printer had quit and I didn't know why. And it was dead. It's just complete. It, it was getting power, but the display was completely dead. And here's the cool end of that story. Um, that was on a Monday. Um, I Or whatever it was that I discovered that it was dead. I think I told you guys about it a couple of days later, and, and that same day I call I got on the phone with Epax, and and so back to one of the reasons why I chose Epax um, is this is going to sound mean, but it's really not. This is just kind of the truth. All of these three D printers, these resin printers, are made out of junky parts. Uh, I mean, they're all just you know cheap displays, lead screws, rails, all that stuff. It's just commodity parts. And you, you know, you, you spend any time in the Facebook groups for Anycubic or Frozen or whatever, and you see guys talking about having their machines fail and not being able to get help because the manufacturers in China, they don't give shit. So I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to buy one, I'm going to buy one that I potentially can at least get good service on. And Epax really proved that theory because they had me a brand new machine on my doorstep less than a week later. And uh, it's up and running. I ran it over the weekend. Got great prints off of it. Uh, so I'm, I'm fired up about that too. So that's kind of been my thing. Uh, oh, I am still sort of paying attention to the foil thing. And I discovered... So this is it's crazy how things happen sometimes. I was perusing Instagram, you know, between fitness chicks and photographers and Mike Rinaldi's beautiful photographs. And somehow... Fitness chicks, right? Somehow, only fans. Some, somehow, somehow, I stumbled onto this Japanese model maker who was what looked to me like he had painted a a B seventeen with some kind of chrome paint. Oh yeah, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna go see what this is all about. Um, you know, anything with shiny metal, I have to go look at. And he had a whole series of stuff on his page. Um, I, I, uh, people can go check him out. I think I've still got his, his, uh, Instagram page up on here. Maybe. Yeah. Toshiaki Yoshimoto. I'm sure I've mispronounced that, but anyway, a lot of really cool stuff. So I got to digging around in there and turns out he's using, uh, the Hasegawa mirror finish. Uh, that's all it's that That's what it's called. Hasegawa mirror finish. And uh, it's not foil. It is a, um, I don't think it's mylar. I think it's vinyl. And they have a whole series of, of this uh, stuff that comes in different finishes. Uh, like there's a chrome one. There's one that's supposed to look like titanium, one that's supposed to look like duralumin. And it's, it's clearly vinyl because he's stretching it around complex curves. So... I ordered some. I think it came yesterday. I haven't opened the envelope, so I don't know. It's interesting. Um, how can you get stuff and not open it? I'm, yeah, how do you get stuff I, and not open it? I'm like, that, on it. I like, know, I know. That's slice on that, will. I know, but that's 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 just. To, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do not. I do not want to get into a conversation about the flies. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, 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 yeah. Go, 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 go. All right. 
but anyway, yeah, I just that's how busy I am. I just haven't even opened that envelope. But but it's it's interesting. I, you know, being a mylar, not mylar, being a vinyl. I don't know if it's you know I don't know if you can weather it. I don't know what I can do with it. But and and the chrome stuff is way too shiny. I mean, that's what you do for like that Breitling Spitfire. Yeah. Um, it's way too shiny for even a fresh out of the factory bare metal finish. Yeah, it's like those um, those showbirds, the super polished ones, isn't it? Where they wax them and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to check it out. We'll see. I'll, maybe I'll open that envelope today. We'll talk about it on the next episode. But anyway, that's that. That's what I've been up to. Uh, um, in case anybody uh, missed it, we should have done a shot when Will was talking about his 3D printer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone should be absolutely coffee. smashed by now. We've finally started. No, no, we're only recommending that they do shots of coffee. So oh, a, oh, a shot. I was thinking picture shot. Oh, because I was so excited. Yeah, I know. Three D printer. Yeah, it's a thing. Well, hey, it's coffee. It's, they're yeah. they're going to be pretty jittery by now. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. not going to be doing any work on the bench. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but look, man, that thing is that thing is cool. That thing is cool. It's amazing to have that capability on a desk in my workshop and be able to crank that stuff out. Uh, it's you know, it's it's just talking of um, anyway. So finishes. There was someone using a product, a Japanese modeler again, using a product on um, Twitter. Someone I follow, and I asked him what it was, and he hasn't replied. So I'll have to ask him again. But he sprayed it on a spoon, and it was like you know one of those jobs. Mm-hmm. A white spoon. And then he, sprayed it's the it one on. where he put a hair. Huh? Used a hair dryer. Used a hair dryer on it, and then it turns no, I don't chrome. Think so. Is that the one? I don't know. He sprayed it on. It looked like dark coffee, not black coffee. Coffee with a tiny bit of milk in it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what's this fucking thing about? And then suddenly it just went whoop and just turned to chrome. Yeah, that's yep, that's the one. It's been floating around Facebook. And the thing that makes it go from looking like dark coffee to actually looking like chrome is the hair dryer step. And right. I, I don't know what that is. I mean, I you know, know you see guys. I do too. I'm interested for sure. Um, you, you know, you you see guys going on about like the Alsa Chrome, where they spray it with water and it's deionized, and then they spray it with this other stuff, and it gets, you know, super. Have you guys seen that one? Yeah, it's a complicated process, and it's just silver nitrate. It's literally the stuff that they spray that they put on the back of a piece of glass to make a mirror. Right, okay. And it's a process where you spray the chemical on there, you hose it off with water, and 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 you do you get a true chrome finish, but it's extremely fragile. You have to clear coat it, um, you know, and it's extremely expensive. Like uh, the the because you get like three bottles of the chemicals. It's like three hundred bucks for what amounts to less than a quart of material, so it's just not viable. Um, and especially by the time you put a clear coat on it, it's you know it's it's not. But yeah, chrome, you know, real chrome uh, or a real realistic metallic finish is just I think always going to be the holy grail of uh, you know of model making because yeah, paint is paint, and it's always only ever going to be paint. So. You know, speaking it's, of it's chemicals, a, a thing. Um, this is I've got a new thing to me this week. It's not new. A lot of people have been using it for a long time, probably for like decades, but it's new to me. I got a bottle of antiquing fluid, which uh, corrodes the surface. I don't know what it does of brass and turns it black or dark brown. Mm-hmm. It's the same yeah. kind of stuff. They sell super expensive for blackening tracks. But this stuff, it's virtually mm-hmm. like a gel and you can water it down. And I got 200 milliliters, 250 milliliters for 
um, about a third of a pint, if you prefer that, for uh, 15 quid. And, like, you can brush it on, so you use virtually none when you're doing it. But it is amazing, and I need to try it on Etch, because I've got a funny feeling if I can, as long as it doesn't eat it too much on Fine Etch, if I can change the surface of the etch to this darker colour, it might take paint better, I'm thinking, Dan. Because something that bugs the shit out of me is when you do a load of etch and then you spray it, you know, you paint it. Even if you prime it, you paint it. Mm. And then every time you touch your model before you finish it, you end up with a bit of bloody brass showing every fucking time. And of course, because it's so bright, it's like ping right at you. So I'm thinking maybe mm. if I treat my etch with this first, even if I do scuff it, you won't notice. It'll be a dark patch. So I'm going to give that a go uh, this week. And yeah. yeah. I'll be interested to see what you find. So I, cause I've tried some of that same stuff. Um, and, and there's, there's a bunch of different brands of it. The stuff, again, that, that's one of oh, those yeah, things that, that for model makers, it's, it's repackaged, uh, you know, stuff that you can get much cheaper. I, I mean, like, like gun people are familiar yeah. with this stuff. Um, knife makers. I the, when I tried it on brass, it um, when I took it out of the solution, it looked great. I was like, "Oh, this is awesome! This is exactly what I want." But as soon as I started handling it, it started to rub off, and almost it was almost kind of powdery, and it left a sort of black finish, if that makes any sense. It looked kind of like almost just kind of like oily black, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. Yeah, not as bright as it was, but not fully black either. So for what I was trying to do at that time, it wasn't going to work for me. But it may be, may be exactly what you need. Well, I tried it on some chain for a ship model, and um, it worked really well. Even handling it, it didn't come off or anything. Although it did burnish. It got a bit of a shine after a while from the oils on my hands, mm-hmm. but I didn't mind that too much. Yep. So I'll try that. Because yep. come... talking of metal tracks, Tracy, I ordered some metal mm-hmm. Churchill tracks from, not metal tracks, you know, aftermarket tracks i ordered some metal tracks from uh master club for the churchill so i'll let you know looking at photos online they looked a enjoy, lot enjoy sharper. those little pens a lot sharper yeah well they're not so little on churchill track <laughs> not like your mini <laughs> tankette because <laughs> yeah. japanese tanks even the big ones had tiny tracks yeah yeah all right, so I got to keep. I, I since this is supposed to be since this is supposed to be my episode that I'm leading, I got to keep us on track. I know we're going to get it. We're going to be. This is going to be a little disjointed. I feel pretty disjointed this morning. It's going to be random, but uh, we also our interview. We didn't even mention. I forgot at the front of the episode to mention that our interview that that we know you guys should really be here for, rather than our nonsense, is Ben Schumacher. Uh, he's. That's going to be really good. I think you guys are going to like that. Uh, ben is a phenomenal aircraft modeler and just a total gangster with the 3D stuff. So I think that's going to be good. You will notice that during this interview, Chris is missing because <laughs> right. when he was ankle deep in his project. Um, but you'll also notice that when things veer off into 3D printing, Chris uh, is like, really fuck just, this, I'm out. It's the Will and Ben show, really. When I was... Uh... Editing it, I left the snoring in, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Chris that's my just... dog, but yeah. <laughs> Chris yeah, just my nope, noped out on that deal. On that deal. Great interview. I really enjoyed listening to it. It is a good interview. Yeah. We now bring you an important health message. Have you been found hunched at a desk under a bright light in the wee small hours? 
Have your friends and family questioned while you're combing through the carpet on your hands and knees muttering expletives? Have you terrified visitors by answering the door wearing a head-mounted magnifier? Do you suffer childish excitement opening boxes of tiny plastic and resin parts? You are not alone. AFE and Air Modeler magazines have been helping the most serious geeks for over 20 years now, bringing you the most inspirational military models the world has to offer to help you cope with this misunderstood affliction. Ask your pharmacist for AFE and Air Modeler magazines. If they can't help, ask at your local newsstand or hobby store, or better still, go direct to www.afvmodeler.com to subscribe to your dose or pick up single issues delivered direct to your door. Caution, AFE and Air Modeler cannot treat constipation but may cause verbal diarrhoea. Tetra Model Works are a leading producer of premium photo etched sets for all kinds of modeling genres. From armor to ships to aircraft and more, they make some of the best PE you can buy. And I know because I use it myself. I love it so much I even sell it in my own store. The design is outstanding, sharp and clean detail, well-designed folds and easily constructed assemblies. Easy to use, their high quality brass is just the right thickness and strong so it won't break on you. Their sets provide the maximum of detail but never with parts you don't need or can't use. Instructions are clear and very easy to follow. Sold in hobby stores around the world, just look for Tetra Model for the very best in photo etch and accessories. You can find a full list of their distributors at tetramodel.com. That's tetra, T-E-T-R-A, model.com. Since it's sort of my episode, I get to talk about some of the burrs under my saddle, okay? And... I I have come I have come prepared with a couple of, of irritants, um, and and my first one uh, and these two guys their eyebrows are going up because they have no idea what's coming. It's a new segment. I'm like, what's this shit? <laughs> <laughs> the, the burr under That's your the saddle. The burrs <laughs> under your saddle. I'm gonna put a sound effect in. <laughs> what is what is this Gideon. shit? So I was so I was listening uh, or I don't know where it was. I saw heard whatever, but. The topic of mold release came up, and I just feel Chris Chris is bowing his head. He's like, oh boy, here we go. I think this is worth at least a minute of, 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 of discussion, because I see this and I hear this a lot on, you know, Facebook groups. Guys are talking about, oh, you know, do you wash your sprues? Oh yeah, you got to wash your sprues to get the mold release off. And I expect that on Facebook groups, but this was a source of some authority, I suppose. And I just was kind of cringing because I was like, come on. Okay, really, if you want to wash your sprues, do it, right? If that's like your ritual, if it if it helps you sleep better at night, and I mean that in all sincerity because we all have our little rituals, right? If that's your ritual and you want to do it, do it. Well, it's not going to hurt your kit, is it? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't hurt anything. Right. It's not going to hurt anything unless you just wash them parts down the drain, which I <laughs> certainly would do. <laughs> but You have to use a coffee filter. Yeah. But it, look, if you're telling people that they need to wash their sprues to get the mold release off, I have a problem because it's just not a thing. Because you're talking shit. 
That's why. No, if someone <laughs> tells you they need, you need to wash your sprues, they're talking shit. It, it is. It's just it's just horseshit. I, I, and, and here's why. Look, okay. So it is true that back in the day, all right, you would find in, a, in an injection molding plant that sometimes they would use a can of spray silicon or other material to spray on the inside of the mold to make the parts come out easier. And you don't want that shit anywhere near your paint because anything with silicon in it is going to make your paint run and scream and never want to stick. So you don't obviously don't want that. But the deal is, first of all, this is this is a practice that 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 is is pretty ancient, and it's not really a thing anymore, and has not been for a long time. In fact. In my entire history of building models, I don't believe I've ever come across a kit that actually had mold release on it. And you will actually, see it. There is one really weird exception. The Zvezda, I think it's still a Vochkin LA5, has got a really greasy canopy. And I've never been able to work. It must be that when they made that mold, they had a lot of trouble popping it out. But every single one of them had is covered in something like engine grease. But that's it. Not not the rest of the kit. Well, that's the with, only thing I've right. ever found. Well, clear parts, you obviously don't want to be scratching. And if they are having par- problems getting it out of the mold without it scratching, then I could see them doing that. But you said the key word there, Zvezda. Okay, sorry. But, you know, Eastern manufacturer, Eastern European manufacturer doing short runs. You'll even see an Edward kit occasionally where somebody will say, oh, yeah, I got some, you know, some mold release on my Edward kit. Those guys are running the machines themselves in their own shop. Again, very short run. Uh, any any modern, in, and by modern, I'm talking about the last 30 years, injection molding plant that's doing any kind of high volume doesn't want anything to do with mold release for a couple of reasons. One is injection molding is a low margin business and the plant that's popping out scale model parts is probably also doing work for a lot of other people and they don't want to take the time to do that. They don't want to pay a guy to stand there and spray stuff on the mold and they definitely do not want to pay somebody to stand there and clean the mold later or clean the parts. They don't want to have to put a process in place to wash that stuff off. Because the fact is that a lot of industries absolutely forbid the presence of contaminants on finished parts coming out of a molding plant. And so if they put mold release on, they got to figure out how to get it back off. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to spend their, their pennies to, to do that. Uh, medical, uh, you know, the medical device industry, for obvious reasons, they just cannot have those kind of contaminants floating around a molding plant. And so what happened decades ago is the the plastics manufacturers figured out how to put mold release agents in the blend. So they have compounds that are that are that are mixed into the plastic when they when they make it, when they create the pellets. And it's activated only at temperatures that you see when the plastic is melted and squirted into the tool. And then when the plastic solidifies, it's no longer in effect, and so it doesn't keep paint from sticking or whatever. Uh, point being is that between that stuff and just better mold design, it's just not needed. Mold release is just not needed. It's just not a thing. So, again, if you want to wash your kits, do it. If you want to have at it, if that you know if that satisfies your OCD, do it. But don't tell people that you got to wash the mold release off. That's just not 
a thing. It's not true. So <laughs> that's my burr. That's the burr that was under my saddle. Um, there is another yes. factor to this, which makes it even stupider. So they wash the kit and then they assemble it. And while they're assembling it, they're rubbing their greasy little hands all over it. It's like if you're going to yep, wash, wash it after you've built it, there's no point. It's like, you know, it's like wiping your ass before you take a shit. It's, there's just no point to it. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the best analogy in the history of SCU, right there. That was even, that was even better than that was even better than Tracy's analogy about black basing being like driving the car all the way around the block to park in your neighbor's driveway. <laughs> you know, we're going to trigger so but, many people. <laughs> whatever, whatever. If it triggers you, but look, it's it, it, look. This is what I'm. This is this is the truth. And I actually have injection molding experience in my background. Get everybody, get ready to drink because of my engineering background. I've spent time on injection molding plant floor floors. So I'm not just talking out of my ass here. Uh, again, if you want to wash your sprues, do it. Great, but. Yeah, stop telling people that they have to wash the mold release off because if you need to, you will know it. It will be there. You're probably even going to smell it. So, anyway, yeah, that's 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 my that's my burr. Um, but I have a question. I have a question for you guys because this is this is now the new friend test. We had some good fun with this on SMCG. Right now, live, pronounce the word G U N Z E. It. Oh, that's it. it. It's over. We're done. We're done. We cannot be friends anymore. I'm unfriending you. I'm blocking you. I'm reporting you. We can't be friends. <laughs> if you do all that, you'll get blocked on Facebook. You know that, right? That's How true. do you pronounce that's it? True. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I've always just said guns because I'm an idiot, you know, and that's just that was just simple to me. Gunset. And I was... Yeah, I I I was again listening to another podcast and there was and I've heard other guys say this like even my friend Justin Lentz, he he says gunsy and I'm just like it's just one of those things that sets the hair on on the back of my neck on end so that's, I've made a post like it was all in good uh, fun Tamaya when people say Tamaya I just want to reach into the, into the internet and slap the fuckers it's just Tamaya you're always going to get those guys that tell you you're not pronouncing it right. So I tell you what, I got a I got a friend, a Japanese friend, and uh, he set me straight on a few. I'll see if he'll write record a few for us, and we can just drop them in. Oh, I've got it. But look, I've got this because in the thread, because my my position was if you say guns a, guns a or gunsy, we're not friends. We can't be friends anymore, uh, which is just silly. Because here is if I can get this to work. Let's see if this will do it. I'm going to press play. Gunze. Yeah. You guys hear that? Gunze. Gunze. Yeah. Gunze. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's an app on the web where you go and you type in the word. And I guess somebody, I guess they have people that they pay to uh, do pronunciations. <laughs> it's called pedant.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just... I'm just saying, I think, I'm just not going to do it, okay? It's just like, it's just like, I know that the connect, correct, connect, I can't talk at all. I can't even say words that I'm supposed to. <laughs> you, a, can't, you can't pronounce things and you're telling us how to pronounce things. This is a whole exactly, bit about pronunciation. Exactly. <laughs> I know, I know that the correct, that the connect pronunciation for junkers <laughs> is yonkers. I know, like, I know it's, it's like a yonkers you on the show. 
<laughs> exactly. Those guys gave him a hard time. It's a thing. I know it's Junkers Yumo, but I just can't do it. Junkers Yumo is just way more fun to say. It's just more fun to say. I'm going to keep saying guns. You know, everybody can say it however they want to, but I really think you should fully commit. Okay. I mean, it, I think if you're going to try to pronounce it correctly, you should go all in. And and if somebody says, hey, what kind of paint did you use on that? You should be Gunze. <laughs> go say, for it. Laka. <laughs> Mr. Color. That's 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 the best way to avoid that debate. Anyway, yep, just a bunch of silliness. This is the kind of shit that runs around in my head, guys. Um and 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 yeah, nobody really needs to know any of that, but there you go. That's what happens when you let Pattison run the show. Live from the shed, it's Pattison. Live <laughs> <laughs> from the farm. All right. <laughs> Let's get into some. Do we have mail? Do we have mail? Do we have mail, Chris? Do we have do we have reader <laughs> mail? If this one thing this show has got, it's a surfeit of mail. There's too much mail. That's good. That's good because for no, a, I, because I was, for a while I was making up a little play on words. Little play on words. <sighs> yeah. Said it was a sausage fest. Do we have any? Do do we have any M A I L? Yes, we have an from email. R e a d e r s. Anyway. So, from Rata Sapiens, I'm going to go out there and say that's not his real name. But anyway, comrades, I'm really enjoying the podcast. Definitely one of the better crews out there because you'll have a clue what you're talking about. I've just finished listening to the wow. interview with Adam Wilder. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, we do a good impression. Uh, I've just finished listening to the interview with Adam Wilder and something jumped out at me about the brackets run cliche nature of a hobby brackets end cliche as a solitary pursuit. My local club options have been limited. An aviation-orientated... Oriented? IPMS, full of the usual badgers and blowhards, and a now-defunct gathering that was once associated with amps, but is really more of an excuse for a half a dozen of us to gather in a room over the local return services club, talk model shit, and drink cheap beer, and occasionally get out a kit to work on and glue some plastic bits to other plastic bits. That sounds like fun. It really, I'm not being sarcastic. That does, really does sound like fun. I feel the loss. Oh, that was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The brave new digital world offers new options, obviously. Modeling forums have run the gamut of options available over the couple of decades, and it seems to have settled for now in that Facebook, which is fine. Everything's in one place. It supports images, and well-moderated pages are a joy to behold. Yeah, as rare as hens. Uh, but I miss the collegial atmosphere of sitting around a table, drinking cheap beer, and talking shit about tanks and dissing bearded old badgers building now but planes sorry will and occasionally that's me saying sorry will occasionally digging out a kit and gluing bits of plastic together uh controversial opinion the only modelers more boring than aviation badgers are car modelers fuck me did i get in trouble <laughs> once making a mild joke about oh, car modelers yeah. <clears throat> anyway. oh yeah all right he's going all in i like yeah, it yeah yeah okay so uh oh this is longer than i expected so i'm just going to skip a couple bits apologies uh mr sapiens uh, these days, I'm slightly more productive at the bench using podcasts like SCU as my audio to replace the collegial ha, discussions and the beer is even cheaper and closer at hand. YouTube is also inspiring. Uncle Nightshift is a go-to for his mad skills with a Z and commentary. 
Uh, I have to mm-hmm. I'd say I listen to the podcast too, and I occasionally find myself talking back to the people on the other podcasts, joining in the conversation, <laughs> which is deeply sad. And of course, uh, my wife is often in the next room, and she can't hear the podcast, but she can hear me, so she gets these really weird talking to himself little comments <laughs> while I'm on the workbench. Uh, I'd also recommend some of the gaming channels on YouTube, especially Luke from Geek Gaming Scenics. His enthusiasm is infectious to listen to and carries me through an evening at the bench. There's a lot of crossover between his technique videos and diorama building in general. He'd make a great guest speaker. So I think that's someone we should go and have a look at and check out some of his videos. Uh, I'll be back at the bench tonight, listening along and sticking bits of plastic together. The beer is cheaper and my, all my stuff is at hand, so that's a win. Keep up the good work, bastards. Fair enough. Cheers. <laughs> Rata Sapiens. Oh, oh, the worst bits at the end. Very disappointing. Real name available on request. Oh, what was his real name? I'm disappointed. Well, it's a good, it's it's a good email. Uh, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm glad to know that we've sort of restored, you know, his 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 uh, ability to I, whatever. I don't know what I'm what I'm saying. It's a good email. I like it. I have a couple of thoughts about it, but I think Tracy, you were going to say something. No, it wasn't. No. Oh, I thought you were going to. I thought you were one and I thought you were one enough to say something. So, I yeah, I uh, that thing he said about car modelers, <laughs> we could we could create some trouble right now, but I have been hanging out on the old Facebooks in a car modeling group for a while now, just kind of I just got bored and curious to see what was up and um I I have to say um the level how how can i say this diplomatically um there's a lot of stupid in there <laughs> <laughs> the level of disinformation and bad advice in this car modeling group and it's a big one it's like 25,000 people or whatever is astonishing i have to back away or i'd be getting banned from facebook on a daily basis with this thing because you know, it makes the whole mold release thing seem pretty tame in comparison. Uh, and I'm just astonished. I, I It's it's astonishing. Like every day, some dude has got a paint disaster because basic paint idea. chemistry. And it just keeps... <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Rust-Oleum owns testers. And then, there's, and then we're off to the races. We're going to have to, I don't know if anybody's going to care, if anybody's going to be listening. We got to do a paint chemistry episode soon because I, yeah, I'm like you, Chris. Whenever I hear stuff on podcasts about paint chemistry, I'm like, hey. Well, um, I've, had a, but, I've had a couple of questions in about it, so I'm saving them for when we do that. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. It'll be a good one. But I think the other thing that he pointed out that's really cool about the podcast that I love is that, that we do have some interplay. You know, like... Uh, you know, the other podcasts will talk about something that's of interest or topical or whatever, and we'll kind of pick up on that and riff on it. And I think that's good. I think that's that's part of what sort of, you know, it's the all, you know, all boats get lifted by the rising tide thing. Um, you know, like recently, the, the, uh, the I think we mentioned on the last episode that uh, the guys over on, on Plastic Posse had been talking about the mental health thing, which was really good. Yeah. That's never, that's never a, a topic that's out of place. Um, they, there's been a lot of conversation lately on some of the podcasts about photography. We could do an episode about that, but they've already covered it pretty well. You know, it's, um, uh, but, but it's the, you know, it's good. The interplay is good. I think it, it's part of what makes the podcast 
sphere more enjoyable and, and more collegial for everybody. Yeah, and it's something that I've brought up before as well that he touches on in his, his letter. You know, it is a solitary hobby. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have a place where you can get together with some other modelers and, you know, show your work, whether it's a club meeting or anything like that, or whether it's something as low-key as, you know, just getting together with a bunch of modeling buddies and going to dinner and shooting the shit and talking about the new kits and drinking a few beers, that's great. But a lot of people just don't have the access to that. So I think podcasts in general have opened up the hobby uh, in a way that you can not feel so alone, which is, it's got to be good. At least it's got to be a benefit to mental health. Um, because I know we all build models for different reasons. Um, but for me, it's, it's a, it's a very calm, uh, very sort of centered place that allows me to just kind of be in a quiet spot where I'm focusing all my attention and everything. So I, I don't mind being by myself, but I do like having something on. So I'm not alone in the room, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, sometimes it's TV, sometimes it's an audio book or whatever, but if it's a podcast then you're actually in the room with people talking about what you're working on right then and what your interest is, you know? Absolutely. And, and you, and who knows, you, you never know what's going to drop that might, that it might end up being useful, you know, while you're right there at the bench or for your next bench session. So yeah, I mean, I at the very it's, least it's keeping you company. Absolutely. I know when I first tuned in, however many years it's been now, I, I mean, I think it's like four years ago when, um, you know, Dave and Julian and Ian cranked up the, the on the bench podcast, but I was skeptical. I was like, how's this really going to work? I mean, it's such a visual medium. How are we really going to make it accessible or useful or inter- interesting, you know, in an audio format? But those guys clearly, you know, they, they, they paved the way. They proved that, it, that, that not only can it, can it be done, but it can be done well. And it, you know, it spawned a, all of us. I mean, that's why we're here now. And, and I think it's really, it's just been really cool to see. And it's, I, I know for one, for me, it's introduced me to a lot of interesting model makers that I didn't know about before. Um, you know, not only on our own podcast, but on the others as well. Well, when we started it, the, the two questions were, can you do an audio thing about a visual medium? That's the obvious one. But also the other big question was, well, you know, on the bench, plastic posse, model uh uh mojo all the other ones they're, they're doing geeks, such a good model job geeks, model mojo, model, model geeks, geeks. Model, all of the, yep. uh, on the bench uh, not on the bench sorry i've already said them uh, um just make a conversation uh, if i don't name one now they're gonna be like that fucker he didn't name us but <laughs> if i didn't name you it's because my brain <laughs> we're not we're not snubbing anybody but hell the for was, all we, we know said, there's well, some new ones that have popped yeah it's a crowded marketplace and uh you know yeah. a crowded field and um, is there really anything we can add uh and i don't know if we add it we do something you know with our own flavor like they, like all the others do but that was a question because there are so many good podcasts you know is there any point having yeah. another one so that just shows how healthy the whole podcast scene is for, for scale modeling and really as well i mean we wanted this one to be about being really deep and well you know to use the word of the people pretentious always, <laughs> yeah pretentious pretentious to me means um that they don't get it <laughs> basically they're not they're not bright enough. <laughs> if you think we're pretentious it's because you're not bright enough but 
that's my statement of, in- of intent. That's um, that's not that's not condescending or pretentious at all. <laughs> well, I mean, we clearly we clearly have discussions that we want to have with the guests that we have on. I mean, every podcast. That's does the that. thing. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the thing. I look. I don't. Th- I but don't. If you think don't like that, if you just like the kit news, then there's uh, you know, and, and talking about the latest kits and a bit of what's going on, then there's a podcast for that, and there's a there's lots of you know there is one out there for everyone. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. It's all about finding the conversation that 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 you that resonates with you. Yeah, and you know we're just we're just lucky and and I am stoked that there's a few people who uh, you know find our nonsense interesting. So anyway, that's all good. So is that it for for reader mail, or are we saving the rest? Yeah, of it pretty for much the it. Time? I'll save the uh, the paint ones okay. for when we do paint. Yeah, that's gonna be a good, that's gonna be an intense episode. And what we are gonna do is get into our interview with Ben Schumacher. So let's talk about that for a minute because Ben's work uh, he is I think pretty well known. He tends to to uh, spend a lot of time in Scale Modelers Critique Group, but he also has a Facebook page called a Facebook page. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> That's clear. That's clearly a Freudian slip related to me being in Facebook <laughs> jail all the time. <laughs> anyway, his page page is scale navy stuff, and uh, he does just a lot of phenomenal work. Ben is a you know we talk a lot about uh, why we don't have more aircraft modelers that are sort of household names workshop names whatever you want to say ben should be uh he's as close as any any of us come um his stuff is fantastic and we're you know we're we're going to get into a good conversation with him about all of that here pretty quick yeah i actually wish i'd known i probably did know and it just you know in one ear and out the other but whenever we were interviewing him i was looking at his work on his own personal page and I've just now gone over to scale Navy stuff, and there's a lot more. There's a lot more content on that page. Um, so I kind of wish I'd seen that while we were interviewing him. I'm glad I'm seeing it now because it's great work. So, yeah, absolutely. Before you crank up uh, this interview, I would recommend going to scale Navy stuff on Facebook and, and just take a look at, uh, at the caliber of work that he's doing if you don't know his name already. Yeah, get drooling. Yeah, he's a he's a fun, he he he's just an all around he's just an all around gangster. Lots of, of you know fantastic um, building in the standard sense. Lots of fantastic scratch building. He's a three D guy, um, and he's a great painter too. Model makers, if you're like me, you're constantly looking for supplies and kits, right? My go-to source for all the essentials is the title sponsor of the Sprue Cutters Union podcast, Hobby World USA. Hobby World USA carries kits, tools, books, and paint brands from Abtilong 502 to Zero. <laughs> See what I did there with the whole A to Z thing? Hobby World is also one of only two suppliers in the United States to carry my personal favorite paint, MRP. And if you're looking for something that's not in their inventory, there's a good chance the owner, Matt Bowl, can find it for you. Matt is one of us. He's a model maker and he participates in the community on a regular basis and is always willing to answer questions. 
I should also note that while he's a great source for those of us in the United States and Canada, he will also ship worldwide. So, get on over to HobbyWorldUSA.com. That's HobbyWorld-USA.com and check them out for all your model making needs. Inside the Armour is a leading publisher of scale modelling books and we are now excited to announce that we are also stocking SEALS models 1700 Japanese ships. These are plastic kits of Japanese pre-dreadnoughts and exploration vessels. In addition we are selling Tetra Model PE, Yamashita Hobby and a range of other exciting and interesting modelling items. Go to www.insidethearmour.com for more. everybody uh let's get going with this interview we are uh joined today by ben schumacher who i think a lot of you guys out there in listener land probably know as uh scale navy stuff but you'll see him circulating around the old facebook uh you know model making groups as himself Ben, welcome aboard the Sprue Cutters Union. How are you today? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. I have no idea how deserve, how I deserve to be here, but it's it's an honor. Thank you, guys. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. Um, first of all, I don't know that it's necessarily an honor to be here. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is this is a, this is a seedy neighborhood uh, in the. Uh, model making podcast village so i'm not sure it's necessarily a good thing your you know your 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 uh, public approval ratings may take a dive after this but we wanted you on here because you are just a fantastic craftsman uh you do so much great work and uh you have lots of interesting things to say so hey that's all it takes to to to, to be on the, the sprue cutters union so easy thank you <laughs> <laughs> so for everybody out there in listener land, uh, you may notice the absence of uh, our leader's suave English accent. Uh, Chris is going to be absent from this interview. Unfortunately, it's going to be down to just me and Tracy. Um, Hello. Yep, Tracy's here. Um, Chris Chris actually has to make money today. He's uh, that that's, He keeps talking about a secret commission project. And uh, he's running up against the deadline, so he had to beg off today. We respect that. Um, actually, making a living is more important than hanging out with us. But that also means, Tracy, we can do whatever the fuck we want, right? We're unsupervised. We're barely supervised to begin with. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Chris contributes to just as much of the hijinks as we do. So yeah. probably won't honestly be a lot different. But, uh, Ben, that's why Chris is not here uh, but it's all good. We're going to, you know, we're just going to have fun with it. All right, Ben. So I think my first question, and when I look at your work, uh, you know, aside from how the fuck do you do all that cool shit, is uh, what's your fixation with U.S., modern U.S. Navy stuff? Because that seems to be your specialty, and in particular, uh, larger scale. Like, I think you're exclusively 132nd, right? 
Yes, exactly. Um, it, it started a few years ago. I think, uh, like like most people, when I was younger, I I watched Top Gun and yeah, was was a huge fan right from the uh, from the beginning. Although the story is super stupid, in my opinion, <laughs> I still watch it at least two or three times a year, and I I, I find it just just more fa- even more fascinating than normal aviation to to start and land. Uh, a, a supersonic aircraft on a relatively small boat makes it makes it so much uh, more fascinating uh, than than normal military aviation. But that that is of course just just a personal taste. In addition, uh, naval aircraft get very filthy in general, and I I really love that. And another point may be that there are uh, quite few of them on the market in kit form, at least in one thirty-second scale, and this is where the 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 really interesting stuff begins, in my opinion. It's I always like to have things uh, in in my uh, in my showcase which are not available on the market, and U.S. naval aviation is quite a big playing field. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that, uh, but look, you know, I, I just was kind of chuckling. Tracy was too about the Top Gun reference. Hey, look, there ain't nothing stupid about Top Gun. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I think, I think all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you're a tank guy. I, I think well, I, all I mean, of just us. Just from movie standpoint in general, like it's, it's, it's got its appeal. It's a cult classic. It ain't. Gone with the Wind, man. I mean... Uh, well, come on. I mean, Gone with the Wind didn't have Kelly LeBrock, so... I mean, <laughs> let, I'm just saying. If if you were if you were about 18, like I was, 17, something like that, you know, when that movie came out, uh, and I mean, I I got bitten by the bug. I was... I mean, I was ready to sign up. I, I, in fact, it, it uh, had a significant impact on some of my decision-making going, you know, from that point forward. I also saw Top Gun uh, on my senior prom night uh, on videotape, and that's an experience that I can't talk anymore about. <laughs> but, hey, you know, Top Gun's got a special place in a lot of guys' hearts. Well, I mean, uh, it, so it oozes. Aside. There's lots of stuff that, like, it's got lots of appeal, that's for sure. Whether it's Kelly Brock or it has, Jets or... You know, maybe maybe yeah, you're into volleyball. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and that's okay. There's there's nothing wrong with that. That that opening sequence is just just epic in my opinion. I remember when when I was a kid, we didn't have a a video player at home, but a friend of mine had one. And every time I visited him, he was already annoyed because he knew what was coming. I wanted to watch Top Gun, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and hey, we've all got, you know, Top Gun 2 to look forward to eventually. I think it's now going to be next summer. But, you yeah. know, uh, I mean, since Tom Cruise apparently is an immortal and doesn't seem to get any older, I think it's going to it's going to work. So uh, it's going cool. compared to Kelly McGillis, right? <laughs> right. Kelly McGillis has not aged <laughs> nearly as well as Tom Cruise, unfortunately. But aside from that, I mean, look, you you know what you said about doing unusual subjects that are not readily available in kit form. That is a hallmark of your work. 
you've done some really incredible conversion stuff. Um, and I, I know that, uh, I mean, you're just, you know, you, you do a lot of just OG scratch building, but you also seem to uh, have gotten well into the 3D printing side of, of the whole thing. So you're doing lots of scratch printing as well. Yes, indeed, indeed. I was, I was lucky uh, to start 3D printing quite a few years ago. Actually, the, the first 3D, 3D printer I worked with was during my studies back in uh, 2006, I think. And then um, that was a, a huge machine working with powder and glue and the resulting parts were not, not really not very beautiful, but it worked. And back in 2016, I think, when the Formaps Form 2 came out, I was lucky enough to be able to buy one uh, for the company I worked for back in the day. And I operated it. I could play with it quite a lot. And that was really, really a good machine. And it still is, in my opinion. So I had the, the possibility to play with, uh, with an SLA printer before the cheap machines became available which is now the, the case now obviously yeah yeah so it sounds like your first go at 3d printing was probably sls right selective laser centering yes yes yeah so for those yeah so for those guys in listener land that don't know that's uh, like ben said that's powdered nylon that gets fused uh, with a laser, so it's directly melted uh, as opposed to cured uh, through exposure to ultraviolet light the way that SLA machines are. So yeah, whole different deal. You get really strong parts, but yeah, surface finish, not so beautiful, right? Indeed, and they were, were difficult to sand and to get smooth. <laughs> you needed a lot of filler and additional sanding. It, it would have been totally impossible to create such detailed and and uh, delicate parts as we are doing nowadays with the the dlp printers or the sla ones yeah trust me i know because uh, i my first job after grad school was uh, actually with dtm which is the company that invented selective laser centering um, and this has you know been almost 30 years but um, <laughs> one of my first projects was to uh, build a life-size uh, it was the it was the the front of a washing machine, and you know that was the great thing about the technology is that that you could build prototypes that would essentially function just like real the real thing, but the you know a washing machine is obviously too big, so I had to build it in like six sections, and then do all the sanding and finishing to try and make it look decent, and it was yeah it was it was pretty 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 difficult. There was lots of belt sanders involved. Um, <laughs> Not something you normally associate with modeling. <laughs> <laughs> Not if you're doing it right. I, I often use belt sanders as well. I have all kinds of of uh, machine sanders nowadays because all, all I've been doing in 2021 was sanding and putting, actually. Yeah, you've got some projects going that uh, definitely require more than the usual. Um, like I can see in the background there uh, on the shelves of what looks like a very impressive reference library. 
what looks like uh, uh, Starship One, right? Yeah, that big. This blue. one, no, that's that's a, a one thirty second scale P eight Poseidon, actually, or a part of it. Oh, so wait, so Poseidon—that is that submarine? Yep. A submarine oh, hunter, okay. yes. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Oh, all right. Okay. Now I, I get it. Now I see. Now I kind of see the shape. It kind of looks yeah. like a rocket from where I'm sitting. And I thought you were making a. a uh, I thought you had, were doing a rocket, or maybe that's just I was confused because I saw another picture of that and thought it looked like a rocket. <laughs> no, but but the other thing you can see there is is actually the rear of an EP3E Aries in one thirty second scale as well. So, yeah, and that's lots, that's another lots. thing. Yeah, yeah. I know. I noticed I have, that on your on your Facebook page. Yeah. No idea where to put them when they are finished, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Sometimes when I want to have something, I have, I just have to print it and to try to try to make it work, and then afterwards I figure I figure out where to put it. So that 737 fuselage in 132nd scale, that, I mean, obviously, that's pretty huge. I'm only seeing half of it back there on the shelf, yeah. and it looks like it's uh, at least 15 inches tall. So uh, you're obviously putting that thing together in sections, gluing it together, doing a yeah. lot of, of, of old school body work on that, right? Yes, and I have to do all the, the surface detail, of course, because it's, it's actually based on a nicely done uh, 3D model I have I've bought on the internet. It was intended to be printed on an FDM printer in 100 scale. Mm. I scaled it up and I printed it on my Mono X. And the base is really good because in terms of proportions, it's really nice. All I have to do is to, to assemble it, to scribe the surface detail. And I have to modify the wings, which are uh, too thick overall. That was simply necessary to have uh, to have enough material thickness in the smaller scale for an FDM printer. So, how are you modifying the database for that? Because it's just a mesh file, right? It's a mesh file, but there are quite a few very useful uh, programs on the market. There is. Uh, NetFab, for example, and there is Mesh Mixer. You can't do anything you want. There are some restrictions because you 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 can't do all the modifications to the to the uh, mesh you want. But you can do a lot. You can uh, subdivide your parts. Uh, you can change the angle of a part compared to to another one. It's it's a very good tool, or, or both both programs are very good tools uh, if you consider working with files you have found on the internet. I I'm even working uh, with flight simulator files nowadays because the, the the choice of models you have is huge. There are some very well researched ones as well. The only uh, problem is that those files have a very low resolution. So they look, they look square. Let's say nothing is really rounded, because the model would be rendered by the by the game. But you get the overall shape, you get the overall proportions. All you need is to assemble them, and yeah, to put some automotive putty on it and to send 
sand and do a bit more sand. <laughs> well, you've just said some stuff that is really fascinating to me, and I, I, I know we. You know, we had talked before amongst ourselves about not wanting this to be exclusively about 3D, but it may be because you've just said some important things. So, um, yeah, Mesh Mixer, my skin started to shrivel up when you said that because my brief exposure to Mesh Mixer has not been enjoyable. I, I In fact, I told somebody the other day I thought it was garbage. <laughs> so clearly I, I may need to reevaluate and, and just you know, learn how to use it better. I, um, Autodesk makes that product and they've incorporated all of its features into the latest release of Fusion 360, which mm-hmm. I thought, I thought was going to make it, you know, easier to use. No, not, not so much. Um, so I'm surprised, honestly, to hear you say that, especially if you're doing as much manipulation as you would have to do on a low poly file that was intended for, for gaming. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty serious. Cause I mean, I've seen some of those files and I would not want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. I mean, you, you, you can't change the resolution of the file. There's no way to do that sadly. And I totally agree. Mesh mixer is not the nicest program to work with, but there are almost no alternatives. If you want to manipulate SDL files, I, I really uh, use a combination of mesh mixer and netfab. Netfab is very good to repair holes in a model manually or to slightly uh, alter alter the surface of a model. And uh, mesh mixer is uh, quite good when it comes to separating shells. For example, if you have uh, a model of an aircraft, you can separate the wings from the fuselage and the landing gear and so on. And this is easily be, uh, done with, with Mesh Mixer. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, so basically what you're doing then is you're just you're just taking the low poly file and if it, you know, if, if it, and, and for, for guys out there who are, who, are tra- who are like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? So what this basically means is, let's say you've got a circle or a sphere if in a typical STL file that you're going to run on a 3D printer, that's going to be made out of little tiny triangles. It's the surface is approximated by thousands and thousands of little flat surfaces. And when you have enough of those and they're small enough, it looks pretty round, right? But if it's a low poly file, all those triangular facets are pretty big. And so your circle might look more like a stop sign, you know, in an extreme in an extreme case. And so what it says, sounds like you're doing, Ben, is you're just taking that and saying, okay, fuck it. That's what I've got. And you're dealing with it with dealing with it as uh, with sandpaper. Exactly. Yes. I, I use it to, to get the basic shape. It's yeah. I, I compared with working with a very simple vacuum form model. Yeah. For example, it's, it's just a base and all the rest you have to do, you have to do either from scratch or what I'm doing often as well is to scratch print parts like seats and the cockpit uh, landing gear and so on. It does. Well, Tracy, sound you can like relate. Vacuum you, you form, can, yeah. yeah, you can relate to this because you build lots of shitty, weird resin aircraft kits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. You get, you get, well, I mean, you also, you know, same with vacuum form, you get a little. 
you know, and then the rest is up to your spares bin or, or, you know, back in the old days, Aero Club made aftermarket parts cast in white metal. You just kind of, but they gave you subject matter that you couldn't find anywhere else. You just had to. That, that's kind of the approach I have, you know, I, I love doing this kind of stuff by hand. I want to spend, I don't want to spend too much time sitting in front of my computer. I prefer filling around with those files, get them ready to print, and then the rest I'll do by hand because that's what I enjoy most, actually. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. So uh, I'm curious, uh, for the stuff that you are designing from scratch, what's your CAD package of choice? I use Inventor since years okay. because it's... For, I, I am used to using it because I had to use it for work uh, for four years. So the, the workflow is quite easy for me. From time to time, I use Fusion as well. Great program. Uh, it's just just a tad overly, overly complicated, in my opinion, from time to time. But that's probably by, because I don't really because I don't really master it, for example. If you want to, to change um, um, a drawing you have made, just to change the, the di diameter, diameter, sorry, pronunciation, uh, of a circle, it often takes several steps, whilst in Inventor you just retype the diameter and it's all good, you know. You're not wrong. I have frustrations like that with Fusion 360. My CAD background was in Pro Engineer, um, you know, from way back in the day, and and th there's just still some things that I think should be pretty much standard in a CAD package like that. And uh, they're not there in Fusion 360. And, it, you know, it comes down to little nuances of, of technique and how you get things done that a lot of people who have never experienced anything outside of something like Fusion 360 probably would never miss. But y you know what I'm saying. And, and for those that don't know, Inventor is basically the big brother of Fusion 360. It's Autodesk's, you know, full-on enterprise CAD package. And it, you know, should do more and should do it easier. I mean, that's why it costs thousands of dollars. Whereas Fusion 360, you can get a free hobbyist license. And even if you have to buy it, it's only like 500 bucks. So, you know, get what you pay for. Uh, so you are just clearly way out there in the weeds, though, in terms of what you're willing to do to get uh, to get the version of the aircraft you want which is you know that's that's og that's that's uh, you know mad respect for that because as much as i love certain subjects <laughs> i don't love them that much well i mean clearly he's uh he's sticking to his passion but you know just going through your facebook page ben i'm really wondering how long it's going to be before we see some uh, some motorsport models from you you clearly really enjoy Formula One and, uh, well, it looks like you enjoy things that go really fast. Yeah. Yes, I do, but that's, uh, that has to do with my with my day job as well. Because, first of all, I live just some 30 kilometers from the F1 track at uh, Spa-Francorchamps. It's, it's just half an hour from where I live. And then uh, my day job is to develop uh, model cars collector's model cars for for a French manufacturer um, and some of them are race cars so it, it helps to have a certain 
passion for that subject in order to get the job done properly. So scale Navy aircraft are kind of your escape uh, from, from your day job in a way. But let's talk about the day job for a second. Um, I, I, there's nothing wrong with you telling us who you work for if you want to. Um, and, and tell us about what your role is. So I'm, I'm actually, uh, let's say, a project manager for a French uh, company called Norev. It's, as far as I know, even the oldest model car manufacturer in the world, founded back in 1948. Uh, we, are, we, we have a small office over here in Germany, just on the other side of the border, 10 minutes from where I live. The company itself is based in, in Lyon, and we mostly do uh, model cars for collectors in 118 scale, 112 scale, and uh, 143rd scale from time to time. So die-cast models, actually. Mm-hmm. All of them are die-cast? Very cool. So it, all, scale, all those scales are die-cast? Yes, yes. We, we, we used to do some resin models a few years ago, but we don't do that anymore because those models are rather rather complicated in mass production. So, but these are all pre-painted, pre-built, the, not as kits. Exactly, yes. And we we have to define all the colors, for example. We do the research. Uh, we have to tell the guys uh, producing them which technique to use uh, to apply a decoration. So mask sprays, tampo printing, we do Rendsburg spraying, so it's it's quite complex, and we do everything, uh, like I said, starting with the research, three uh, D. Three Ds are made in China, but we we have to check them. Then uh, the molds are made. We have to check the fit. We have a look at the parts. Then we have to write lists uh, to to tell the guys in China which co- which part gets which color and so on and. Then finally, you get a finished product the collector can buy at the store. Very cool. Yeah, Very neat. cool. So, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, what a, what a fascinating and fun job because not only are you getting to work in an area that's, you know, you're passionate about, you know, with, with things that go fast, race cars, but you're getting, I'm sure, uh, just a deep dive into all the manufacturing processes because I assume. You guys are doing die casting. You're doing injection molding. Uh, I mean, that's just super cool. It is. It's it's really interesting, and that's that's why I may be chuckling a bit when guys are saying, "Oh wow, look a slide mold, impressive!" And look at the molding <laughs> and all this, that, that stuff uh, our industry is doing since twenty five or more years. <laughs> so all all these things have have just appeared in. In, in the kit industry and we are doing it since an eternity because it just eases the manufacturing process for us or the assembly process let's say yeah slide molding is is i mean that's been around for many 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 decades that's that's not a new thing at all and isn't it just expensive though it is much more expensive yeah. yes yeah it's, it's finally made its way into our hobby little bit by little bit but that doesn't mean it wasn't available Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It, it is. It is purely a cost thing. Again, for those that that don't know, basically what slide molding does is, you know, let's say that you need to injection mold a tube, like a tank tank gun barrel. Yep. You know, any kind of gun barrel, right? It needs to be hollow, right? 
Well, if, if you're going to open and shut the mold around the outside of that shape, that's pretty straightforward because you just have, you know, two halves of the mold. They have each got us a, 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 a cavity that looks like half of a tube or a pipe or whatever. But the only way to get the inside of that to be hollow is to have a pin inside the mold that creates that, that cylindrical cavity. But if you have that, you cannot open the mold. The part is locked in there completely. And so you have to have a mechanism that allows the, the, the pin to withdraw from the inside of the plastic tube as the mold is opening. And it has so it has to slide out of the way. And that's why it's called slide molding. Uh, right? I mean, I think I, I think I got all that correct. Ben, you got anything to add yeah. there? Yeah, no, it's totally correct. The prime example is, for example, the Academy... AH1Z in 135th scale, they used lots of, sli of slide molding uh, on that one to very good effect. Yeah. Great it, It's, it, you know, it's a fundamental injection molding technology, but it, 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 it increases the complexity and therefore the cost of, of the tool itself by an order of magnitude. And uh, yeah. it, it's not penalty free. I mean, like, you know, guys sometimes will complain about the canopy on their F-16 has a, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a line. It's called a witness mark uh, in injection molding terms, but they have to, you know, why does my canopy have, a, have, a, have this seam that I have to sand and polish? Well, because if you want the shape of the thing to be correct, because that canopy is bulging out on the sides, you can't just open the tool up and down like you imagine they are. Otherwise, it's going to scratch the sides of your nice, clear plastic part. And so the, the top halves, the outside halves of that canopy have to withdraw side to side. And that's going to leave that witness mark that you have to polish out. I mean, that's just, you know, it, it, you can't have it both ways. Um, and, and so you'll see things like I'm working on the Ming 148th Hornet right now. It's got some witnesses on the outside of the fuselage that some people don't realize aren't supposed to show. They're not panel lines. And it's, again, because they use some slide molds there. So, it, you know, it's just a thing. Um, but that's, you know, that's just, that's just part of it. If you want really cool parts, if you want hollow exhausts and hollow gun barrels, then that's, that's what you got to do, right? Exactly. Just some cleaning and you, got some, you get some nice parts, correctly shaped parts. So is there a place where listeners can go? Uh, what's the brand of the diecast cars? Because I know I want to go look and check them out. The brand is called Norev, N-O-R-E-V. And you can, uh, you can visit our page. It's norev.com. There you can see what we are doing. We, we mostly do uh, normal street cars, uh, but we do, do race cars from time to time. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Oh. So Ben, what's your what's what's your educational background? Are you an engineer by education? No, I'm an industrial designer. Oh, okay, so cool. cool. Kind kind of a mix between between an engineer and yeah and and an artist, let's say. But it's it's not necessary to have this kind of education to do my job. For example, my my colleague who I'm working with and who is definitely one one of the best in the industry. He, uh, his education is he, he was a vendor, a toy vendor, actually. So yeah. no, need, no need to study anything to do this job. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just, it's kind of, you get on, on the job training just from working with these vendors and, and learning what they can and can't do. Cause you know, if, if, if you send them something that they can't mold or, or manufacture they're you know, they're going to tell you, Hey, we can't. So that's good stuff. Very cool. So your, 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 your grounding in 3d goes, goes way back then. Cause if you're an industrial designer, I'm sure you came up on 3d studio or Maya or, you know, some of those kind of things, right? Yeah, we, we worked with uh, 3D Studio Max uh, and with Inventor back in the day and AutoCAD. But to be honest, back back when I made my studies from 2006 to 2000, uh, 2003 until 2007, uh, there was less 3D drawing than nowadays. Definitely, this is uh, this has changed a lot since then. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It only gets better. I, I think you would agree that we're not going to replace injection molding with three D printing anytime soon, though, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. It's it's a tool. It's it's certainly an, an alternative, and it may replace resin casting, in my opinion, but not injection molding. Yeah, there's just unfortunately physical limits. I mean, as good as you know, these little machines are getting, I mean, and they are, they are absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I've got an EPAC, I've got a brand new EPAX X14K. That 4K resolution is phenomenal. I mean, what it, what it will do is, is, you know, and it was a $650 machine and, and compared to what $600,000 machines were doing back in the day, it's, it's unbelievable, but there are just limits and you're just not going to be able to, uh, you know, equal like the surface finish that you get from an injection mold that's been diamond polished, uh, you know, until we're pushing molecules around or we have replicators, <laughs> it's just not going to happen for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I have to be honest, back in back in 2016, uh, when, when we got the Form 2 at work, I would never have imagined that two years later you could buy a photon for... 350 us dollars i really couldn't imagine it back then but luckily like as so often i was wrong <laughs> hey i think that's something that we're all happy to be wrong about i mean i know five years ago i was getting junk from from shapeways that for the average guy was amazing but for a scale modeler was just not good and i was just you know it was discouraging because i was like man we're just never going to have stuff that's really good enough for what we want to do and then all of a sudden, the market just exploded with the photons and the frozens and the eligus, and suddenly almost anything is possible. But even even Shapeways did some good stuff back in the day. They had a resin which was called, I think, Super Detail Resin or so, but it was oh. expensive as hell. I I have uh, the the first engine of my S S three Viking in one thirty second scale was printed by Shapeways and one engine cost me 175 euros. So that's around $200, <laughs> you know, it was super expensive. Yeah, they were expensive. And, and I think that uh, because Shapeways has service bureaus in different countries and they're not, I don't think they're all using the same stuff, but the ones in the United States, I believe were running object machines and they're just, you know, they just weren't, they're just, they're just not as good as what you can get off of your $300 frozen shuffle. 
Mm. Um, you know, it's and, and I honestly I wonder how those guys are even going to continue to stay in business with all of these inexpensive machines. But the fact is that probably there's way more people out there who just want to order something rather than deal with printing it themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Tracy, Tracy's in that category. He's got those uh, T-Rex tank tracks over there that he's fully in love with right now. Yeah. I mean, if I were to have had to, designed them and print them myself, then, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, they are pretty amazing. Pretty pretty amazing. So let's talk about that Viking, because I, if I remember correctly, isn't that the one where you had to uh, also 3D print the canopy and the windscreen? Yes, yes, exactly. The Viking is is a combination of, of classic scratch building and quite a few 3D printed parts. And for me, it wouldn't have been possible to build this model without 3D printing because I'm just lacking lacking the skills and the machinery to do parts like the engines by hand, for example. So, so how did you pull that off with the clear parts? Were those directly 3D printed, or did you do a master and then a casting? They were directly 3D printed on the form labs. Back in the day, wow. the clear resin is really good. But wow, it okay. took weeks and weeks of sanding and polishing <laughs> to get the parts really clear and shiny. But it doesn't yellow. And this is the big difference to the clear resins I know, uh, which, which are compatible with our DLP printers. Because all, all the clear resins I know, they yellow over time. That is, of course, not, not acceptable okay. for aircraft models. Wow, so you were able to actually actually sand and polish that stuff to an acceptable level of clarity. That's that's pretty impressive because honestly, I would never have bet money that you'd be able to do that. And it makes me wonder what the like all these resins operate at a specific wavelength. Like I think most of the resins that we're using on these inexpensive DLP SLA machines is 405 nanometers and so i would just wonder if there's a significant difference with the ones that are laser activated like you have with the with the form machines i have to admit i don't know because i don't don't have uh, access to the the printer anymore so i i can't check uh the 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 resin uh, bottle it, it, it's not a bottle on the form labs but uh, it's it's a dispenser yeah. Right. You have to use their resins when you run one of their machines. Um, so, so, so now with your new job, you don't have access to the printer at work, but you've got one at home. What what kind of printer are you running at home? I have an AnyCubic Mono X, the big one. Okay. I still have my my old Photon, and I have an FDM printer as well, a Creality CR10S which I would like to fine-tune in order to be able to print uh, hips or uh, so high-impact polystyrene or ABS, which for the big models I often print is a better and cheaper option than, than resin. Because I'm, I'm experiencing uh, quite a few issues with warp parts during the last few weeks. Everything uh, thin and long has a big tendency to warp over time, even if the parts are properly cured. Yep, 
That is 100% an issue for sure. Uh, and for those that don't know the difference, FDM stands for fused deposition modeling. And that's basically, it, it, you know, it's a it's a thin filament or a string. It kind of looks like weed whacker line. And you, you, you extrude that through a heated nozzle and it melts it enough that you can squirt it out like toothpaste and build it up layer by layer. And, and so the difference there is you're getting thermoplastics. It's, again, actual material. If you can figure out how to do high-impact polystyrene, that's what HIPS is, then you're right back into, I mean, at least with material properties, you're very close to what an injection-molded styrene kit is going to be. Yeah, a friend of mine is able to print uh, uh, high-impact high polystyrene uh, in a very good quality on on his printer, and the parts are superb to work with. Even the surface quality is pretty good, not as good as resin parts, of course, but uh, it's it's a very very interesting option. So FDM certainly has a FDM printing certainly has a place in scale modeling as well. Well, that's a that's a big deal because, like I, you know, I, I've always like I said, so told somebody the other day that. Nobody doing any serious 3D printing for scale modeling is using FDM. And I, and I said that because the, the, the materials are a problem. Like ABS, as you know, is not fun to sand. It's kind of, it's kind of slightly rubbery and it just does not take, a, a, take sandpaper the way that polystyrene does. Um, and you, the glue, like it does not glue the same way. Like I think, can you use MEK on uh, on on ABS? No, not really. And I I glue most of my parts either with uh, super glue or with two uh, K epoxy anyway. So I yeah. I didn't really try that on on any large ABS parts. Yeah. So the thing is, is it doesn't have that particular chemical property that allows it to melt under the correct solvent. And that's the magic of polystyrene is ex we, we get to use Tamiya extra thin. So if you, can, if you can 3D print off of an FDM machine at a resolution and surface finish that's acceptable for you and for you, for you it sounds like you just about don't care because you're willing to deal with the surface quality no matter what just to get the thing that you, you're after. But if you can get that close... Uh, and it's in uh, polystyrene. Now you you can use Tamiya Extra Thin. It acts a lot more like uh, you know a, a traditional kit. I mean that's a that's a pretty big deal. It it really is interesting, and it, it's uh, uh, to be honest, the, the the cost impact of the resin is is really big compared to to any filament. I think I went through some twenty liters of resin this year, and. <laughs> It's, it's getting expensive, <laughs> I have to say. That's like a thousand dollars worth of resin. Yeah, not not very far, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, yeah, this is you know I'm glad that we kind of went down this road because you you really are um, doing some stuff that I would consider groundbreaking. Um, you know, in terms of of your 3D printing work. Um, you're definitely pushing it farther than I than I have and that I would be uh, because of your dedication to getting the subjects that you want. The, the thing is, my, my parts often aren't as detailed as, as the ones you do, for example, or the ones our good f mutual friend Fench is doing. The guy's a wizard. It's it's just it's, he's a <laughs> he is a madman, right? It just 
just incredible what he's doing after a few months of experience. Uh, super great, great guy. Uh, hello, French. Hope you're doing well. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really impressive. My parts are much more simple than the ones he is doing. But I'm uh, instead of spending my time in front of my computer, I spend them sending in my garage. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like everything with, with model making. There's a bunch of different hobbies within the hobby. And, you know, Fanch has clearly just gravitated to the 3D thing. And, yeah, I mean, he is. He's he's an alien. I taken to it faster than just about anybody I've ever seen. And uh, his uh, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a, throw a shout-out to um, – David Parker and Mark Neville over at uh, AFV and Ming Air Modeler because uh, not only is it a great magazine, but the new issue, issue 98 of Ming Air Modeler, has got Fanch's 132nd F-18 Aggressor in it. And it's, I mean, as cool as it's been to watch that thing come together on the interwebs, because Fanch is so generous with his work in process posting. Um, it's just really, really neat to see it in print and it's a really nice spread. So, you know, if, I mean, a lot like you really need an excuse to go buy air modeler, but that article alone makes it worthwhile. Even if you just go over to the AFE, um, AFE modeler website and download it as a PDF for five bucks, it's, it's very well worth it. Um, and I, you know, I think your stuff should be in there too. Uh, I mean, your work is, is, I mean, aside from the, you know, just the sheer gangsterness of your, you know, scratch building and scratch printing, you're also a pretty damn good painter and uh, you clearly love weathering. I mean, that, that, you know, you're, you're a triple threat for sure. Well, thank you. Painting actually is my favorite part of modeling, but I do it very, very rarely because my models advance too slowly. And I, <laughs> I, I, I need, when, when I paint something, I need time. I need time to prepare. I need time to paint and I need to, time to clean everything up. Whilst when I, when I have 10 minutes, I can go downstairs, send the shit out of a fuselage, put it back and do something else afterwards. <laughs> that's, that's not possible with painting. So that's why my, my QF4S still isn't finished since yeah January this year. I think last time I worked on it was in January. And all I have to do is to paint the, to paint the rear canopy. <laughs> I like your figure work too. It's really good at bringing the human element into the the aircraft and and scale as well are those uh... well, things i think but the figures are by far uh, my my weakest point i think i just just started playing around a bit with with some acrylics which works quite well but it's miles and miles and miles away uh, from from any figure painter so well i mean you're going to be your own harshest critic on that. I, I think they're fine. And certainly there, there are a lot of people who complain about not being able to paint figures who don't bother painting figures. I mean, if, if you're going to complain about it, at least you're doing it. So you're, if you're, oh, if, I'm, I'm trying for sure. I'm trying and I'm, I'm trying to make the next one better than the last yeah, one. Absolutely. Are they, are they stock <laughs> figures or are they 3d printed figures? Uh, most of them are 3D printed ones from Reed Oak from France. Yeah. 
slightly modified, but yeah, so pretty much, in my opinion, pretty much the best stuff money can buy. Yeah, for sure. Mod- mod- modified by hand, or or did you modify them digitally? No, by hand, by hand. I just yeah. altered uh, the survival gear to uh, to make uh, a slow jet pilot out of a, of a helicopter pilot. So no, gotcha. no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Reed Oak figures are really amazing. I mean, and you know, for people that haven't looked at his stuff, what he's doing is is he's doing three D scans of reenactors, uh, actual people. And so the physical detail is just phenomenal because it's obviously way better than you're ever going to get with an injection molded figure. And so it's like the level of physical realism is so good that it like almost instantly turns you into a good painter too, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes it easier in some ways, but on the other hand... Uh, Sometimes it's easier to paint resin figures, in my opinion, because some details are overemphasized on hand-sculpted figures compared to a shrinked, real human being. But in terms of realism, they are, of course, superb. And in my opinion, they are so good, you can't, you can't really combine them with classical figures because you can tear them apart yeah. right away. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very true. They kind of have to live in their own on their own. It's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff for sure. I think you need to get that F4 done so we can all see the finished product because like the can- the cockpit, I I was just looking at the pictures of the cockpit yesterday and your detail painting in there is just phenomenal. So sharp, so well executed. Thank you. <laughs> I I I for one I love painting cockpits i think it's the among the most rewarding things in in jet modeling and that's the big advantage of 130 second scale as well so you can you can paint everything this is why i personally don't like all these pre-printed photo etched and 3d printed panels i think it's it's way more fun to do it by hand and it's and it's more beautiful as well and it requires some some skill which in my opinion is an important part of the hobby as well yeah for sure many yeah. people will disagree but yeah <laughs> no I, I mean i think again it goes back to the fact that there are multiple hobbies within the hobby it, you know if if you really enjoy detail painting and you're really good at it you know then right you, there's no reason to spend money on 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 aftermarket stuff if you like the way if you just like the way that it looks cuz right like the look of a 148 scale instrument panel that's that's where you've just hand painted the injection molding it looks different obviously from a photo etch instrument panel if you enjoy the look of one versus the other that's really the only justification you need right there yeah definitely Definitely, and I mean those uh, those uh, pre-printed, three D printed panels. They look great in the flesh. They really do. I when you look at a cockpit, it look it's super sharp. It's really nice. And I'll always say, yeah, great cockpit, nice. But don't expect me to say, wait, you did a great job on the cockpit because you just slapped some some three D printed <laughs> panels onto your plastic part. Yeah, I think that's you know there's some truth to that. I mean there's. 
I mean, you know, yeah, sure it does. It takes some skill to assemble it, make it look clean. And especially if you're, you know, getting into that level of photo etch where all the little tiny switches and everything are, are going to be in there. Um, but you know, like for me, it kind of looks flat and I almost never use much of a photo etch set because it just, you know, just doesn't look that good. I, for me, you know, and I think Tracy probably speak to this as well. It's just whatever gets you the look that you want. Yeah. My, my friend Kai Walter, excellent modeler. Uh, he has used some uh, pre-printed Eduard panels, uh, combined with Anish knobs, the three dinted knobs our friend Tom does, and the result is mind blowing. It's absolutely stunning because he added his personal skill to the existing parts. Yeah, just kind of doing a multimedia approach. Um, you know, like in the cockpit of my P40 that I finished not long ago, I combined two or three different instrument panel products to get to get what I want. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah, I think you just, you just use what, what works for the look you want and don't worry about justifying it. Cause that is at the end of the day, the only justification you need is it's the look that you want. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't enjoy painting cockpits, well, don't waste your time on painting them and use, use the 3d, the 3d printed ones Yeah, because modeling should be fun. <laughs> at the end of the day that's that's exactly right that's exactly right so you uh you, you also do a lot of weathering and you mentioned before that uh, navy aircraft can get pretty filthy and we know that's true i mean it doesn't take a lot of photo surfing to see the proof of that but what is it about that that appeals to you why do you like your girls dirty that's a that's a good question. I've I've never been a huge fan of high vis aircraft, for example. So the, the the classic gray ones with a white belly never really appealed to me. I always preferred a, a matte finish with with those classic touch ups on top. To be honest, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's maybe because uh, my first modeling subject were were trucks because my father used to uh, collect and build 187 scale trucks. My uncle had some trucks and trucks are dirty. Trucks are filthy very often. And maybe that's that's uh, the source of, of the, the appeal weathering on an aircraft has to me because I, I really like them filthy in a realistic way if possible. Do you use a lot of reference photos to develop the look? Yes. Yes, tons of. As you can see, I have quite a few books behind me. And I try to, to gather as many photos of the very aircraft I'm building. For example, I, when, talking, when we're talking about the QF4S, I literally have photos of every angle of the aircraft um, when, when it was actually demolished. It was demilitarized. Then it was reassembled to be put in a museum and someone took the time to take photos of every angle of the aircraft. So I know how the top of the wings look, how the fuselage looked. This is a big advantage in my opinion because I try uh, not to use too much artistic license when I do my weathering. Yeah, we've talked before about how having the actual uh, reference photos in front of you 
you're recreating what is real rather than imagining what is in your head. And one is always going to look more believable than the other because it is real. Exactly. No, nothing replaces reference photos except more reference photos. Right. I, I don't know. I kind of, I, I kind of disagree with, with Tracy a little bit on that because I think that well-executed weathering it looks real. It looks authentic, whether it's pointing to a specific vehicle or not. I mean, you know, it, uh, to me, it's it really comes down to to how well you're pulling off those techniques. Because at a certain level, you know, weathering is an objective skill, just like lots of other things. I mean, you know, your streaks are straight or they're not. You know, they they your your chips are authentically shaped or they're not you know your dust looks like dust or or it just looks like you smeared some dust colored paint on or not well i mean we're um, talking about you know we're talking about the same thing I'm, I'm talking about informed weathering rather than copying i yeah. mean you're, you're never going to get you know as many reference photos as you can find you're never going to get reference photos of the same vehicle on the same day from every angle you know you have to build up your skill set with your techniques to be able to interpret what you see in photos and then uh, like we talked about before I, you know i don't i don't necessarily know that the best modelers have more common sense or if they just have a better internal library of of what things should look like but the the best guys when you look at their weathering it's obviously been informed by really studying real weathering effects and how things happen, where they happen. And you can tell the difference between, you know, just somebody doing it for kicks and somebody who's really serious about it and who's really, you know, kind of at the top of their game. Yeah, there, there, is, there is a certain logic about weathering. You already talked about it. I think there are many people using those stencil masks extensively nowadays. Entire models look like they 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 are wearing a German night fighter camouflage, <laughs> and, and, and and it's it's overdone because the, the logic behind the weathering is missing. The logic should be which uh, which hatches are opened and closed on a regular basis. Where are the guys touching? Where is mud spraying or, or whatever if there is a certain logic behind your weathering i think the, the possibility is very high that it looks convincing absolutely and i think the more time you spend working from photos and trying to create something specific or, or reproduce something specific that it builds that internal library that tracy was talking about and it it makes it a whole lot more effective when you do have to go off script you know when you find yourself in that situation where you've got great photos of the port side and nothing of the starboard side that, that's that's going to happen not so much for you because you build modern stuff and you you know you're you you you're lucky you've got lots of good photos for the most part i assume anyway uh, but you know like tracy's case i mean there's uh, lots of situations where you're, you're just not going to have really good photo references of every angle. Right. You just have to extrapolate what you're seeing on one side and how it would happen similarly, but not exactly the same on the other side. 
because symmetry is boring. Yeah. yeah. I'll try to find uh, photos uh, showing other aircraft or, or vehicles or whatever from the same period, uh, from showing the other side and, and to, to try to figure out how the other vehicle was weathered and to use that on your model. Hundred percent. But I, I completely agree with you, Ben, about like the like the stencil thing because I I'm not I'm not trying to claim I invented that technique, but I think I started talking about those in like twenty seventeen and one of my YouTube things. I had just randomly run across those and bought some off of Amazon and I'm like, man, this is a much faster way to do the black basing uh texture layers, marbling layers, whatever you like to call them, which is a great technique. Um, you know, it helps you, you know, start to bring that tonal variety in uh, as you build up the layers of, of paint. But I often cringe like you when I see somebody who's done that over the entire surface of an aircraft model. Because then it's kind of like, okay, well, isn't that the reason why we got away from that classic panel line pre-shading technique? You know, because it's there's a bit aircraft. Well, there's a bit of uniformity to it, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a certain pattern then. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. When you've when you've made your non-uniformity completely uniform, <laughs> you've kind of you've kind of entered into catch twenty two territory, uh, and uh, and so I just encourage people, you know, just look at each of these things as a tool, not as uh, uh you know not as an end goal maybe that's i don't know if that's a good way of saying it or not but you, you know it's a very valid point yeah and you have to use the tool in the appropriate area combined with other tools like liquid mask applied with a sponge or so and coming back with oil paints and, and you know dealing with surface variation with oil paints i mean the 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 big thing about using those stencils and what you're, I think if I'm understanding correctly, the end goal is to break up your big panels and make, you know, sometimes a, a monotone aircraft uh, with a with large surface area a little more interesting, right? Yes, exactly. Especially on on rather uniform paint jobs like the, the TPS uh, scheme used by the US Navy, for example. There are just two or three shades of gray and a few touch-ups on top and that's pretty much all and all the rest is filth and well and a bit of does do aircraft navy aircraft fade pretty badly i would assume right uh see or is this salt deposits or what other kind of interesting textures can you start to play with with the weathering on those the the, the, the most texture i i think is is applied by the mechanics wearing dirty gloss you can see all those those brown patches around the hatches they are opening every day and around the touch-ups which are often a bit more glossy than the initial paint job so the the touch-ups stay cleaner than the paint below there are quite a few interesting things you can do with different levels of gloss on naval aircraft and the dirt which accumulates around the touch-ups, which of course has a tiny but but still significant thickness on top of the paint job because there simply is more paint and the grime sticks around it. Yeah, and those guys are walking around on top of those things all the time too. 
So, you know, you walk across the the deck of the ship. There's oil. There's, you know, rubber. There's all kinds of crap. And you're going to track that onto that gray paint. And and so, you know, the, the, the template, the, the stencil thing, just gives you a way to sort of build that variety in there pretty quickly. But like Tracy, you're doing that as post-shading with oils. Same, same sort of goal, just a different way to get there. Yeah, I mean, why not combine all those things? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I often apply uh, diluted oils on top of a liquid mask. That works as well. Gives yeah. you a very nice random pattern with just, just a slight discoloration. Mm-hmm. Nice. Sort of shift that color a little bit with the thin glaze of oils. Yeah. That's that's a that's a great idea though, and and I mean I'm, that that's something that that listeners might just blow right by without really picking up on what Ben just said. What you're doing is it sounds like you're using like maybe are you applying the masking fluid with a sponge to get a sort of a random pattern of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so then you're going over the top of that with your oil with with diluted oils i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be diluted but yeah. then when you take away the masking fluid you've left a pattern uh, i mean that's i've never even done that that's a that's a pretty cool idea i want to makes me want to try that exactly very easy yeah and you could do that not I mean, only with like, you could shift you could shift the color uh you know lighter or darker if you use like a lighter gray or a little bit of a darker earth tone or you know whatever but you could also sort of shift play with the warm and cool with like a you know like a diluted tamiya uh you wouldn't have to use oils you could do like any of the the tamiya clears just heavily 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 diluted put that on there hit it with a hair dryer and you could shift it you know a little bit with transparent blue transparent green transparent yellow orange whatever and just get a real slight, subtle shift. That sounds fun as hell. And it is. Yeah, absolutely. And just to put it in simple terms, you're applying a filter, but you're using the sponge masking fluid technique to break it up so that it's not just a uniform filter effect over the entire surface. Yeah, yeah. You create, I often create kinds of, let's say, little puddles of highly diluted oil paints on top of a of a very dead flat surface, and I let the work the, the oil do the work by himself, or let's say the capillarity. This creates very nice random patterns, and when combined with the, with a bit of masking fluid, it's even more random because it creates some hard edges in this very soft transition between the the different shades. Yeah, that's right. Very I want nice. to try that. Yep. Yeah, I do too. And since I'm going to be hopefully uh, coming up on some uh, filthy uh, low vis navy gray here in the next few weeks with my with my Hornet, that's the perfect opportunity to use that use that technique. I like it. Well, listen, we've been uh, wearing you out for over an hour now, and we we want to try and and uh, respect your time. But uh, I mean, Tracy, is there anything you haven't uh, had? I mean, you've been pretty quiet over there. Well, the, uh, anything you want to hit? The majority hit? of the conversation has been about uh, 3D printing and Navy aircraft, things that I have pretty much no experience <laughs> with. But as soon as we started talking about weathering, obviously I had a little bit more to chime in. Um, ben, you mentioned 
uh, how you spend so much of your time sanding, sanding, more sanding, and more sanding, which makes me think um, that you probably have some tools, some favorite tools. Uh, what are what are some things that you find yourself using? Like, doesn't have to be specifically sanding, um, but I just I recently got a Fordham. Uh, and I really like the fact that that you can control the RPM on that thing. And it, it's been a lot of fun. I've been looking for ways to use it, even though I haven't found a lot yet with the state that my projects are in. But what about you? What, what are your, some of your favorite tools? Oh, I, the 3D printers, of course, these are probably my, my most favorite tools at the moment. But then I think like Will, I'm a huge Proxon fanboy. But since I've started modeling, my father used to have one back in the day. And I really have, I, I don't know how many Proxon tools I have, but I use all of them on a, on a regular basis. And all of them are great. I have a small belt sander. I have the mini drill, the, the small pen sander. Um, I have a, a rotary tool, a small, uh, it's, it's a jigsaw, I think, an electrical jigsaw. Um, all of them are super useful if you're doing, let's say, rough work on, on scale models, except except the, the rotary tool, which is, of course, a very precise tool for, for uh, yeah, detailed work, let's say. Yeah, I think the only thing you're missing in the lineup is there is one of their little uh, mills, which, yeah, yes. we all drool, yes. yeah, drool over those things. Like a little lathe? Or a left. Yeah. yeah. That would be great as well, yeah. They make lathes too um, that are pretty sweet, but they do. They make a couple of really small milling machines. And yeah, I, I want one. I don't know what I would use it for, but I just want one. Oh, I, I would love to get a CNC milling machine. My, my good modeling buddy, Thomas from Austria, who is actually building a 148 scale uss enterprise you may have seen his work as well Yo, oh yeah so maybe you, scale yeah. art check it maybe out maybe scale art you're friends with yeah. that guy okay because he's amazing yeah. i would love to get him on here because holy shit yeah if anybody hasn't seen that tracy are you familiar with who he's talking nope. about oh omg this yeah this dude He's building literally a 148th scale aircraft carrier uh, with a bunch of the jets on it. And like we're talking about movable landing gear type levels of detail. This dude is a true gangster. Movable JBDs and everything. It's really, it's seven meters long, you know. I've visited him several times already and it's, if, if you haven't seen it in the flesh, you, you won't believe it. It's just... <laughs> Super impressive. Is he and building the, 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 in, the, the is, is he building the entire ship, or just the flight yes. deck, or a part of the flight deck? No, the entire ship in one forty eight. The entire scale. ship. And actually, he's doing it for the second time because he started some twenty five years ago upscaling the Tamiya model. Then he visited the real Enterprise, got his hands on some plans, and found out that it's not accurate. And now he started all over again. Oh my God! So dedication. <laughs> yeah. So so, how long is the is that thing in one forty eight scale? I mean, it's gonna be like twenty feet long. It's like right? seven meters. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Okay, I missed that. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Wow, that is unbelievable. 
That's yeah. the thing. You know, every time every time in scale modeling that you think you've seen the most unbelievable coolest thing or heard about the most unbelievable coolest thing, there's something else. You know, there's some guy, some guy out there who's doing just, you know, Anyway, yeah, amazing. Yeah, scale Navy art, right? Is that U.S. Navy scale art? Yes. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really, and really he, compelling he stuff. He's doing a lot of CNC machining. He has a, a, a huge CNC mill, I think, uh, more than a meter long. Super precise. He's made quite a few parts for me already, and that's a great tool. I think if I had to choose between a 3D printer and a CNC mill. I think I'd go with the CNC mill. Super I, impressive tool. I, I think you can get CNC controllers for those little Proxon mills. Wow. Just saying. I'm, I, I found this now. <laughs> I found this web, this uh, Facebook page now. Get the fuck out of here. Right? Yeah. Right? Check out his uh, Scratchfield 148 scale RC Tilly Crane. Fully functional. It's 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 just super impressive. Wow. Yeah. And what what blows me away every time I look at it is not just the attention to detail and the volume of detail. The execution. But the execution. Yeah. I mean, the quality. There are no like rough edges. There's no sloppy paint. There's no flurm. I mean, it's, all his edges are straight. It's just like, holy shit, dude. Yeah. It is. it is. This is insane. Yeah, he, he takes no shortcuts. Wow. I think I saw you, maybe it was you, Ben, you said somewhere that he's the most uncompromising and dedicated guy you've ever seen in scale modeling. And I... <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't you, you couldn't disprove that by me because looking at his work is it's just phenomenal. I mean, there's those guys out there. I mean, guys like him, uh, guys like uh, I think uh, hopefully I get his first name right. Laurent Pearson. Are you familiar with him in France? The guy who does Pearson scale models. He builds the one eighth scale sh- uh, metal cars. Oh yeah 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 sure yes it's yes, it's P I yeah. P I E R S O N. It's, I yeah, mean, I think just yeah. unbelievable, unbelievable levels of, of detail and fidelity. Um, you know, of course, I always have to go back to Guillermo Rojas Bazan. If you're not familiar, you know, if you, you know, and you hardly can't find these guys work, but, but they're just, you know, they're the true, they're, they're the true uh, gods of scale modeling, in my opinion. I mean, uh, it's it's just a, at a level that's just beyond anything uh, 99.9% of us are, are even imagining, much less capable of doing. Yeah, and Thomas, for example, uh, if he has to do something, he'll do it. He'll, he will cast his own tires from rubber and so on. If he doesn't have a choice, he'll do it. It's, it's just super, super impressive. He certainly doesn't have that much time. Uh, for scale modeling, but when he has time, it's it's just incredible. It's this is beautiful work, man. This is it, it's like Mona Lisa scale modeling, man. It's you look at yeah. that and you're like, okay, all right, I got new goals, man. Like if I can get a <laughs> if right? I can get a fraction of of anything looking this good, but that's I mean, 
Yeah, I immediately see that, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, let's go that direction. And and I, you know, you know, we the fr- the phrase museum quality gets thrown around a lot. I, I've, I'm okay. I got to be careful what I say right now because I don't want to just be mean. But I think a lot of the guys who throw around the term museum quality are not uh, are not necessarily um, like they're 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 mostly it's a compliment. Uh, lower skill. It's a compliment, right? But they have this idea that museum quality means something that typically it really doesn't. I mean, you look at a lot of stuff in museums and it's just not that good. It's not, you know, certainly not compared to the work that you're doing, Ben. But this guy, that air, that that aircraft carrier needs to be in the Smithsonian when he's done. It's that amazing. It might be the only place big yeah, enough to hold it. Probably right. <laughs> It's yeah, it's it's pretty phenomenal. So yeah, maybe we can work on getting him on here. I don't know. You know him? Is he the kind of guy? Is his English good? Is he gonna is he gonna want to come talk to us, or is he gonna be like, nope, I'm too busy building amazing shit? Oh no, he, he certainly isn't too busy. He's he's a bit bit shy, and he's not not the best uh, English speaker, even a bit worse than me. So that that could be difficult, but he certainly would be. A great guy for for a big conversation. He has lots lots of things to tell. Oh, I just got a, t- a notification from Chris. Chris has already reached out and invited him. <laughs> Good. <Yeah. laughs> well, may- maybe we can have both of you guys on. Ben, you can be the interpreter if we need that. That might be fun. But good yeah, stuff. Sure. Good stuff. All right. Well, look. I know you said you had some commitments later on this evening, Ben. I know you've got you've got a family, um, you've got kids, and all that. And I've got some things I've got to move to. So, um, you know, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, uh, I think we'll we'll probably wrap this up. Yeah. Thank you. Was was a huge pleasure to be here to be on the show. Well, thank you. This is one that I've really been looking forward to for a long time because. You know, I mean, I've 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 observed your work, uh, you know, from the from the you know from on Facebook, uh, and 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 interacted, you know, with you on Scale Modelers Critique Group, and I've just always felt like you were, you know, you were, uh, you know, one of the one of the more legit guys. I mean, there's not and this is this is kind of a subject that we touch on occasionally. There's not a lot of aircraft modelers that we know by name. Right. Um, and maybe that is one last thing to, to talk about. I mean, it's like in the armor circles, I, even I'm not an armor modeler, but I, I can rattle off three or four really well-known armor modelers. But I challenge anybody to do that in aircraft modeling. And you're one of the guys that I think, you know, people could call out by name. Why do you think that is, Ben? Why Why are we in the aircraft modeling community suffering from whatever that phenomenon is. Difficult to say, yes, we, we, we are a bit too shy. Maybe we are we are all influenced by, by models we have seen in the old Hasegawa catalogs or so. It, it's, it's really difficult to say. It, it often seems like the, the armor modeling part of the hobby is the more, more artistic one, the more... Uh, yeah, maybe maybe sometimes even the more interesting ones when it comes to creating dioramas or so. It's it's difficult to say. Maybe because there's more going on around the tank than compared compared with an aircraft. It's really difficult. Those are good points. 
I think so. Yeah, and all valid for sure, for sure. Well, look, you definitely are are one of the names uh, in aircraft modeling, and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, this <laughs> appearance on Brew Cutters Union will not detract <laughs> from your fame in any way. Um, uh, you know, hopefully, it'll make it, make it, you even more well known because I really think that a lot, you know, a lot of guys out there would be very inspired by what you're doing, and especially once they realize the uh, dedication that you have to, you know, building the subjects that you want. Ben, so again, uh, thank you again for taking the time to, uh, to join up and, uh, and, and talk to us. Um, we'll definitely have to do this again sometime. Thank you very much for having me. As I said, it's, it's a real honor to be on the show after such great names. <laughs> I don't know how I deserve it, but I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when, when the modeling show, when World Expo is happening again, maybe we can all have a beer together. Ah, oh, that sounds great. Maybe at SMC or so next year. Oh, no, it's not yeah. SMC next year. It's, uh, it's, it's the World, World Model Expo. Expo. Yeah, yeah, it's just an hour and a half from where I live. So chances are not, not too low that we'll meet there. And don't forget, the Sprue Cutters Union is just one of a number of superb scale modelling podcasts. There are too many to list, but go to modelpodcasts.com to find a full list of all these great shows. Don't forget, you could support the Sprue Cutters Union by backing us at Patreon. All you need to do is go to the Patreon website and look up the Sprue Cutters Union and you could decide how much you want to give us monthly to support us and help us pay to keep this show going. We've got hosting fees and other stuff to pay for, and your help really does count. Special thanks this episode go to Mike, Joel, Eric, Chris and Carlos. Thanks guys, we really do appreciate your support. there we go folks a great interview with ben hopefully you agree that that was a great interview you know uh it's too bad chris was not able to join us but he noped out on the whole 3d conversation plus he kind of had to go make money i mean that's important actually too, i suppose but talk about the, the 3d thing though i mean something that really impressed me about ben uh, i was thinking about this today after i finished editing the interview and um uh, I, I think Tracy will agree. Art school is <laughs> coming up. Get your drinks ready. Uh, an artist is not a painter or a sculptor. An artist is someone who can make art with whichever material they pick up and make mm-hmm. it with. And Ben's like that with model, whether it's 3D, whether it's scratch building, whether he has to get his ankle grinder out or a scalpel. It's all just whatever tool he has to use to get to where he wants to go. He's not a 3D modeler. He's not a scratch builder. He's 3D modeler and a scratch builder, if you see what I mean, and everything else. And I just found that really interesting that um, he'll just use whatever he's got to do to produce what he, he he needs to produce. So, so it sounds like maybe you are kind of coming over to my point of view that the that that the creation of art is more about the process than the medium. 
<laughs> like you didn't know that was coming. Because modelling is right, not a we'll, medium. We'll, we'll, we'll work on modelling that. is we'll not a medium. I mean, both use paint. That doesn't mean you know. How is it? House how is it not the medium? It's like artists. How, how and, is the uh, modellers use paint? That doesn't make all three of them house painters or all three of them modellers. How is the model not the canvas? It because mm-hmm. it's a model, not art. It's not fucking art. All I'm saying is he's an all-round modeler. <laughs> all right. Oh, jeez, I wish I'd never brought up art. Fucking hell. <laughs> I love it. It's going to always be a thing on our podcast. But I, but but to your point, I think I think the important thing is is that he, he again. He's after results, and he's going to use whatever tools are necessary to get there. Yeah. I feel like he manages his time really well, too. You know, at one point in the interview, he said, well, if I, if I can't, you know, work on something, if I only have 10 minutes for, to work on something, then I'm just going to go downstairs and, and work on sanding this giant thing that I'm <laughs> trying to get into shape rather than doing any kind of, like, real fine detail work. And I thought, well, that's, that's really good use of your time. Like you're you're constantly moving your projects forward, which is, I think, uh, some people do actually have problems with that. Yeah, I mean, time is the number one issue for modelers, isn't it? Yeah. Well, project project management is a thing. I mean, again, because we're trying to get to an end goal, and there's a whole bunch of different processes involved in getting there. And, you know, we have these milestones we're trying to hit. I mean, you could practically run your work, bitch, on a Gantt chart. So it's it's a thing for sure. And I know a lot of model makers struggle with that. You want to take all the joy out of modeling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but some people find the joy in that part of it. Like um, we had a guy in SMCG the other day who posted a really cool thing. I forget what it was, but he made note of the fact that it took him 77 hours. And I was like, you know what, that's pretty cool. I like that he said that, you know, because I think that one thing that a lot of guys miss when they look at these pieces of brilliant work is the time factor. They just don't realize, you know, how long stuff takes. And he, we started talking about it there. And so he actually posted his a little scratch pad from his workbench where he was keeping track. And this He's guy was hardcore. Clocks from a factory and he punches in and out. (laughs) (laughs) Just about. Just about. And I think it's cool. Like I only do I only even attempt to do that when I'm doing a commission project. And and it is. It's kind of astonishing when you get to the end of it and you go, God damn, how did I where did the three hundred hours go? Yeah, I don't want to know. You know. You're right. It's a little a little depressing. Well, it's like writing that book we were talking about. You get so down in the weeds of the project mm-hmm. that you don't notice yeah. it. You yeah. know, stuff that you think took you five minutes, you look up and it took an hour. Yeah. Well, and especially if you if you include like research time, mm-hmm. you know, the ancillary stuff that's not necessarily directly related to gluing and painting. Yeah, it's it can be pretty astonishing, but it's a thing. That's why I say, look, if time is your issue, this is not the right hobby for you. Although I will say, because um, there are days whenever uh, I look at the clock and I, I've, I've done nothing for a couple of hours with my life, you know, just in general, just kind of like, oh, I've been on Facebook for two fucking hours. Like, yeah, yeah. Arguing some... about paint, chemistry, and mold release. It's yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, so I, when I sort of become aware of that, what I challenge myself to do 
is, okay, spend an hour at the bench, and then if you want to fuck off for an hour on Facebook or whatever, then that's, you know, tit for tat, right? But spending an hour at the bench, it moves something forward in some way. Uh, but also, I, I like the feeling of accomplishing something on my project. And if I force myself to relinquish an hour of, of goofing off and give that hour to my project, whether it's assembling tracks or sanding something and adding another layer of filler or super glue or whatever we're doing, or, you know, uh, I just, I kind of feel better about the rest of my day. You know, I've, I've accomplished something that I really want to be able to spend more time doing that my job doesn't allow me to spend more time doing. So I've, I've sort of carved that uh, area of time out and, you know, it just feels better than looking at the clock and realizing that you've been looking at everybody else's work for two hours on Facebook and not doing anything with your own. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the clock, we have now been at this thing for quite a while. We probably better think about wrapping it up. I, I'm sure the listeners are ready for us, too, because I feel like this episode has been a typical Pattison disaster. I, In my defense, we were going to do this yesterday, which was our normal day, uh, but we had to postpone until tomorrow because of some stuff. And But then Chris popped up and said, hey, let's do it today. And I was like, okay, but I thought I was, you know, thought I was ready feel totally unprepared this episode is probably going to be like our most poorly downloaded one ever sorry ben <laughs> well i think from from the stands it, it's kind of like watching somebody being taught how to drive <laughs> <laughs> that is probably how it's gonna go that is probably how it's gonna go uh, the, the thing is though i mean I, I, I try and make every show better than the last you can't always do that and although the interview this time is really great, at its core, this show, sorry if this is indulgent, but sorry, listeners, but it's just us three talking shit about models. It's really what it's about. And we've done that, and I've enjoyed it. That's all it and is. if it's our least downloaded, yep. I don't care. I've still enjoyed it. No, I think I think it'll be good. Even if they only listen to the bin part and just ignore the rest of the bullshit. I, you know, but this is typical of, anything i you know anything i'm my youtube channel is this way i you know i have people tell me all the time that i'm just rambling and it happens but i just you know i like to chat hanging out with you guys feels feels good it's fun to chat could you tell them <laughs> what's going to be on the next show yeah we should we should do that chris clayton and chris chris is going to be cool i'm really looking forward to that one because um this is a case of work that i had seen that I just thought was a maze balls, but didn't know who did it. And so when Chris said, Oh, we're going to do Chris Clayton. I was like, what, who, I don't know who that is. And then he showed me the pictures. And I was like, Oh, that guy. In the figure world, Chris is a, is a bit of a legend. So um, definitely worth yeah. tuning in for that one. Yeah. It's good stuff. With good, good reason. Stuff. Also, good stuff. uh, should yeah. we be discussing paint next time? That might be, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think we should do it. Yeah. yeah. I think we should do it. So it'll be it'll be intense and it'll be good, but I think it'll be helpful for a lot of listeners. Yep, say bye guys. Bye, bye guys. Get the fuck out of here.